Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is the Mabati Papillon of motorcycles, Mr. Shahina Vandi. It is no big deal. How come the French do that? The French. The you know what I'm talking about? The little pfft noises for their. Pfft. It is you they know. Do, I like little like little shrug. I, I, I think Italians do it too. Just look. Iranians make this noise. It's just a little a little click click. But that's like dismissive. Like yeah yeah yeah. I you like know. the I like the click. I've I've tried to incorporate the click in my life. <laughs> it is the international version of the three finger snap. Oh no, you didn't. Yeah. They've just they've just condensed it down to just a single It's like the original one. It's just a thing. noise with a mouth. How was your day today? It was how you say okay. Incroyable. Incroyable. It was fascinating. Oh. I had um croque madame for breakfast. The fromage was so stinky. <laughs> I do not know. <laughs> Um, for our French listeners, we love you. We really do. You guys and know our how to... French Canadian listeners. Oh, especially them. They're closer. Them probably more so than the French. More ones. so, man. These the thing I love about the French is they know how to treat butter and cream. Oh yeah, they do. Like my my gut loves you. My heart doesn't, but my gut loves my spirit. Truthfully, does. We give. I think I think Americans give French people a hard time, but I also feel that the things that Americans hold like most dearly came from france example okay statue of liberty hey you know nice big gift butter and cream sauce Mm, that's a bigger gift i think french fries i think that's debatable freedom fries i thought yeah i thought they changed the name to freedom fries Freedom fries. (laughs) but that's the thing like that didn't catch on that that was like a little blip on the radar that's how quick like that's how strong the hold is like that was like for a year i think really 2001 and then 2002 are like, nah, they're French fries. Yeah. 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 I haven't seen any restaurant change that name. It never caught on. No, no, no. Strange enough, though, you don't see a lot of good motorcycles from France. I was trying to think like in my head really quickly, like brands, and there's there's a couple, but like... I'm drawing a blank. I'm actually drawing... I mean, I've had a weird day today, but... You're having a day. My, you, my, my brain's on half capacity, but tell, French... Tell our listeners just really quickly what happened to you while I, I I've, Google I this fainted thing. today. I've never fainted in my entire 40 years, but then a cute little doctor... I mean, I'm not trying to dismiss this human being, but it was a very cute human being who poked me in the arm and drew some blood to do regular blood tests, and I was totally fine just yucking it up with her, and then as soon as the needle came out, I was like, and sleep. And then once I woke up, if anybody else has ever experienced passing out, they probably understand this. But, dude, I feel like I was drinking all night last night. I feel hungover right now. This is weird. Don't do it. If you if you can if you can skip out on fainting, just go ahead and skip it out. Yeah, that's it's okay not to ever experience it. I'm amazed you came to my house and recorded this show. Truthfully, that's like that's how much I care about this show. I, yeah. I went through rainy Portland traffic. Yeah. By the way, my house is six point six miles from your house. 38 minutes. That's just stupid. 38. And then I It would saw, have been quicker if we had lane sharing, which I, I we'll was going to say later there, the was a, there was a, a person on a Triumph Street Triple, uh, a bone stock one, which is so weird to see a bone stock. Just like, come on, put an exhaust in that thing. I want to hear it. Um, but anyways, they were lane splitting and I moved over for them and they gave me like a very surprised wave. 
Like, yo, I'm from California. I know what's up. They probably thought you're cutting off a motorcycle that was lane splitting on the <laughs> other side of the lane. I was trying to stop the other one, you son of a brain. <laughs> Anyhow, tell me what you've been up to on two wheels, sir. Um, I'm trying to think. What have I been up to? Besides on two rocking wheels? my Street Fighter. Oh man, I, that bike. I, you know, I I almost named it. I've become so attached to this thing. You can't name another man's motorcycle. I know you can't, but it's just That's sitting like a there rule. in my garage. And it's like, every time I walk in the garage, I'm like, there are three Ducatis in here. And I know I've drank the Kool-Aid. I would like to have a different brand in my garage at some point, but there are three of them in there right now, one of which belongs to you. And it's just right in the middle of the other two, just looking at me all like, you know, you want to go for a ride. Oh, hey. Hey, girl, what are you up to? I'm like, no, 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 let's be nice. Saddle's all warm and ready. Just hop on board. Um, I've learned something about your bike. I think it's just the way I ride. Boy, if you hit the brakes and you're not bracing yourself, your nether regions and the tank become very, very familiar. Yeah, it's got good brakes. It's got really good brakes. That tank is very slender. Yeah. Which also has made me think that my Multistrada's brakes suck. Well, understand that I don't have ABS. And you kind of lose some feel and some power with the, truthfully, just the brakes going through the SB, the ABS it module. think about the thing you you're asking. You get some air in there. It's got other diaphragms and stuff that it has to push against. Yeah. It's just... It's not just a steel braided brake line from the master want, cylinder man. to the caliper. Oh man! Anytime, like your Street Fighter around town, a finger will do the job. Yep. Just one finger gently squeezing that trigger makes the bike want to do an endo. And think too, like those are three thirty discs. Those are Brembo M four calipers. Yep. Like, uh, I think I have HH pads on there. I think they're center pads. So they got some bite. It's a pretty good setup, and it's got that radial. I mean, it's a cast. Brembo radial, but it's still a, I think it it's a 19 millimeter piston. It, works. it so, does the thing. You know what? It works better, Dan. Oh, I know what I did on two wheels. Huh. I got to ride that um, that Zero. Oh, the SRF. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I want to hop on that too. You should. You. I mean, granted, my ride was only like 15 minutes long, but it was just kind of around town, stopping, going, going over bumps, trying to do wheelies, which I didn't know. The, I, I was asked very, very kindly not to mess with the buttons. Like, but I want to do things with the buttons. Don't touch the buttons. Okay. Really? Yep. No um, button touching. Huh? No touching the buttons. No, but there's so many buttons, and I like pressing buttons. Hmm. Um, so, a couple of thoughts. The brakes suck. <laughs> well, yeah, they're the J-Wands. I know, but it's funny because everybody who's like pro that bike is like, oh, the brakes are fine for the street. I'm like, yeah, but I just rode a Street Fighter. Yeah. Then, like, if I just if, if, you've I, never if ridden, I just go on the brakes of the Street Fighter, it'll throw me off the bike. If you've never ridden another motorcycle before, those J-Wands feel fine. That's all. I saw a couple of reviews where like, the brakes are so good. I'm like, there's no way. Who wrote there's those just reviews? No way. I know who they are. I'm Compared not to what? Back. Bicycles? Compared to the other Zero bikes, maybe. Maybe. Oh, man, the other Zero bikes. I remember hopping on a bike in 2013. I was still living in the Bay Area. I was living in Oaktown. I was living in Oakland. I was in that loft. Um, <laughs> Rennie Skaysbrook is calling me right now. Hold on. Let's, let's put him on. You want to put him on the show? You should put him on the show. Hey, Rennie, we're, we're recording a podcast right now, and you're on it. I'm on, I'm on the podcast. You're on the podcast right now. You interrupted our podcast, and now you're on the podcast. Oh, good trust. All right, fair enough. How you doing, mate? You I'm, right? I'm good. Yeah. Hey, can I call you back in a little bit? Yeah, yeah, mate. No worries. All, <laughs> All right. right bud. Thanks, bud. <laughs> yeah. Bye. I thought you were going to hold him to like the to do an interview right now. Yeah, right now. We're Impromptu. That's the thing. I got to interview him about riding uh, his Pike Peaks bike. And because um, we did that up at the Ridge uh, a yeah. week ago, and I got to get some quotes and get that story out. Uh, super good dude. 
pretty 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 solid to let someone else ride your race bike especially before the races happened that's so you had a big old grin on your face in that picture yeah i did i didn't get to to really ride it hard uh i got four or five laps on it and then the red flag came out because someone had a yard sale in uh turn two at the ridge did you did you find any good deals in this yard sale oh my god there's just bike pieces everywhere i i didn't see the crash i kind of saw them getting up from it but the cloud of dirt and i guess it was just dirt that wasn't smoke but the cloud of dirt they must have hit turn one in a weird way. Oh. And those that don't know, like you kiss turn one at like a hundred and something miles yeah. an hour and then get on the brakes and you kind of straight line it into the turn in for turn two, which goes up a hill. And then something must have happened and that bike tumbled, but that bike was in like two or three big pieces and about a hundred little pieces. Ooh. And I think the rider was okay. I don't think they had a scratch on them. I wonder so. if he had any upgraded brakes for that zero road. Yeah, I know, right? That yard sale. I bet it would have bought sold for free. For free, freebie. But anyways, yeah, I, I rode that zero back when I lived in it was an it was an SR. No, it was an S. I don't think the SR was out yet. And man, those brakes just suck. Those just sucked. And I mean, they they've just always and then like the KTM seven ninety do, because it's got the not the same setup, but they use J Wands as well. And they just suck. Like that's my that's my least favorite thing about the KTM seven ninety Duke. I was just talking to someone today. Like that's my you know, Jensen score beta. That's that's the one, negative that's, right there. That's the one hundred bike for my for my street bike. And it's still gets one hundred. Because it's an awesome bike. I think that's the best sport bike on the market. So it should be the hundred. It should be the standard that you measure against. Okay. But part of what makes that bike so great is the price point. Part of how they got to that price point was putting these super cheap brakes on. And if there's one thing that I would be like, hey, yeah, you're gonna go buy that bike. You're gonna ride it for a while, and you're gonna upgrade the brakes. Mm -hmm. You're gonna you're gonna definitely upgrade the brakes. And if you know, if it was me, I would just go full Brembo on it and call it a day. And know I have a rad bike, and I'm pretty sure we're gonna see an R spec of that bike come out for the 2020 mark or yeah, 2020 I wouldn't, I wouldn't model year. That at all. And I think that's gonna have all the good stuff on it and get rid of those J ones. The J ones just suck. And my critique with Zero is on a twenty thousand dollar motorcycle, which is what that bike is when you yeah, you know kit it out too. to what you want it to be. You shouldn't have shitty brakes. You should have Street Fighter brakes that are rad and terrify you when you hit the lever. And yeah. That's I mean, you could put ABS on there and take a little bit of the feeling away, I guess. But yeah. these things, like my 600-pound Multistrada has better brakes than that. And it does bike. have ABS. It has cornering ABS. Well, fine. But God dang it, man. It just, it, to me, it felt like riding, I don't know, a Honda Rebel, as far as the brakes are concerned. Ooh. Right? Which would be it's, fine. It's if fine. You, if it was like a $5,000 bike. Yeah, totally. So that's, and that's truly my only biggest complaint on that bike. It, you know, it's, yeah, it's a little bit hefty, but, you know, you kind of expect that with that giant battery pack between your legs. I don't think it's any, it didn't feel a whole lot bigger than, say, like a Ducati Monster 1200. In weight or size or form, like how you quantify All that? of the above. Okay. Um, I think it is what's, heavier, what's but the, the weight, weight it takes, takes 500 off from pounds? a, what's that? What's the, what's the weight that they're claiming on that? I don't know. I can look it up. I think it's like go, it's pretty I, heavy. It, it feels heavy. It's like five hundred or four eighty or something like that. Yeah, I think it outweighs from the monster like at least sixty or seventy pounds. But I think the fact that it puts on that instant torque just makes it feel lighter than the monster. Um, and it did okay just transitioning from side to side. It's a great bike for the streets. I just don't know. I'm having a hard time accepting the idea of you buy a twenty twenty three thousand dollar motorcycle with subpar peripheries on it for the street when there's yeah. so much more out there. 
this is what this is what I love, right? Well, I mean, I guess I'm not, I'm not gonna get too angry about this. The standard model is 485 pounds. The premium model is basically it's 498. It's basically 500 pounds. 500 pounds is heavy. That's big. I want to talk about this Indian FTR 1200 I've got in my garage. Oh yeah, for, speaking for of a hot minute. Bikes. Well, we can get to it in a second. But like that's like 508 or 505. You know, so you sit there and you're just like. I remember pushing her on the ground. I'm like, man, you are a big girl. Mm-hmm. Not so bad on the street. And once it gets moving, it's not so bad. And that's one of the things I really like about electrics. You don't have the rotational things going on. Yeah. So the side-to-side transitions when you're at speed are actually quite good. You can't get around Sir Isaac Newton, though. So stopping <laughs> 500 pounds is stopping 500 pounds is stopping 500 pounds. Yep. And that's where I think electrics really like show their masses. When you're getting on the brakes... Not so much when you get on the gas because there's so much torque. It kind of makes that weight disappear. But on the brakes and that low speed maneuverability, like when you're in a parking lot, yeah. you're trying to do like a tight turn or you're just pushing around the garage, they really show their weight. And that's that's tough. And you're just not going to get around that until battery packs are lighter. But tell me about the motor because I think that's one of the things that's probably a really big highlight on that Zero Super. is they've put a bigger capacity motor on it it's uh, 140 foot pounds of torque is what they're quoting which is nothing to scoff at for sure it's it, um i will admit to having grinned the entire time i wrote it because yeah. th- the second you're on the throttle the bike is just very responsive super smooth they did a really good job i think i think it's been programmed well um to you know the the transition between you twisting the throttle and it applying power it doesn't feel jerky. It's just butter smooth. It makes a really cool noise. That my Alta doesn't make this sound. I don't know if it's the the motor just winding up or if it's the chain or what it is. But um, they might have scissor cut the the gears. Maybe the yeah, it's got, a, it's got a real unique sound. I mean, people can hear you. Yeah, and I kind of appreciate that about you know on a motorcycle. I feel like at least for for pedestrians walking around, it's good for them to hear you because you're sneaking around on this thing. Um, super handsome bike. I couldn't get over how good it looked. You like the way it looks. I do. I, there's there's things about that bike that I look at. I'm like, that looks good. And there's things about that bike that I look at. And I'm just like, really? The whole, the way they do the passenger peg off like that rear set. Yeah. I, I don't like that at all. And I've never seen that done well on any bike. There's a couple of Ducatis that are like that. Hey, even those um, weren't that good. They've, they've had to redo them. That's never few, worked out well. It gets in the way bikes. of your heels as a rider. Yeah, that I don't mind because I dig my heels in a lot. In fact, I'm I'm doing a pretty good job of burning my boots off on my race bike right now because <laughs> of that. But it's just it just looks like um it looks like those helmets of like Hermes where he's got the wings. <laughs> That's the only thing I keep seeing when I look at it. It's these like these little wings things that come off that of just it. come off the side. <laughs> and I just can't get over it and it just looks really stupid. Um but there's things about that bike that look really good. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I need to get my butt on one. Zero actually reached out to me to come down and, and ride one, and I need to what? take them up on that because that's very cool of them. That is super cool. Um, I may have waited too long on that, and it wouldn't surprise me if that offer has passed. But I can at least go out and ride one here at I the dealer. I think that you as a professional journalist are going to be able to nitpick bits and pieces of the motorcycle. But I, as the average rider thoroughly enjoyed what the bike is capable of it does have a handful of shortcomings and honestly the brakes were my only concern about them uh not even a concern just the thing that i was kind of eh about like for a 20 plus thousand dollar motorcycle i expect a lot more having ridden you know a, a decade old ducati with you know 
I bought that Ducati right when I started Asphalt and Rubber. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I bought that in October 2009. So a decade-old Ducati. Yeah. Although, I think it's older than that itself, isn't it? Is it an 09? It's, I think technically it's a 2010. I think they were 2010 models when they came to the U.S. Yeah. But, yeah, I bought it in 09. And, um, yeah, right after I graduated uh, school. I moved back to California, and I needed something to lane split on. Mm. So this bike is definitely a little bit, the handlebars are wider than your Ducatis. It's a yeah. lot easier to modulate from side to side and yeah. kind of muscle it around. And Street Fighter does kind of have a short bar when very, you think about very, it. Very, very narrow. Um, um, so I feel like for as, as heavy as it is, they've done a good job of giving you a wider set of bars that you don't have to put so much weight into to get the bike yeah. to react to you. So, so here's the test. And I, and I brought this up in, an, in my Indian review, actually. Um you get off the bike, you're you're walking away from it. Do you get that inkling of like, I kind of want to go back out again? Or you're like, you're okay putting the bike back? Because I feel like the true test of a bike is how much desire you have once you've like done a ride on it to get back on it again. Oh, yeah. Like, and I can think of like a few bikes that were like, oh, man, I just one more lap, one more session, right. one more ride, one more turn. Like, I'm just not done yet. I'm having too much fun. And there's some bikes you're like, I can't wait to get off of this thing. And there's others who are just like, okay, yeah, I did the ride. I'm good for a little while. So I think for me, I was ready to do more. Okay. I, I, 15 minutes wasn't good, enough on that sign. bike. I, I would sign. like to ride it more. Mostly because I think it's a new cool thing, right? It's it's unique. I, I love the way pedestrians were looking at you because, you know, they're looking at me all geared up on this motorcycle, but I'm <clears throat> sort of sneaking around. And so the sound that it makes and it being quiet and not disrupting them, everybody was looking at me with a smile on their face. Um, and it sort of made me feel good about riding the motorcycle around town because now I'm not being that loud, obnoxious bike, you know, popping it and and it burping and farting and making yeah. all kinds of noise yeah. in the background. So there's a certain draw to that. But, you know, what I wanted more than anything was just more time on the bike. I wanted to be able to go up some twisty roads and you know, see what it can do. I wanted to play with the electronics more. I wanted to see, you know, if, if I could do like wheelies on it, if I wanted to. Um, I'm curious to see how how much n- electronic nannies that bike has on it, <clears throat> and if they're disruptive. I mean, it's got a it's got an IMU traction control coordinated ABS. It's got some cool electronics on it. Right. Uh, obviously, I haven't had a chance to play with them, but uh, on the spec sheet, it's very impressive. The thing that kills me, and this is this is kind of bring back to a point you were saying earlier. This is kind of a bigger trend I have in the motorcycle industry now. I think the last three bikes I've reviewed, I've kind of like roasted them. Like, listen, you're charging me premium price. You're giving me like bone stock components. Yeah. So I have like an issue with zero. It's like, hey, I've got these Showa suspension pieces. I've got these J-WAM brakes. I've got these, uh, I forget what their tire partner is. I think it's Pirelli now. I think they were but it used to be It used to be Shinko. Yikes. Um, and it's the same thing with like the Indian where, you know, it's, it's a really high priced bike, but like you're not really giving me top spec stuff. And I, and I was like that with the Svartpalin as well, where I'm just sitting there going like, come on, like this bike's 11, it's like 12 grand. Give me, give me the premium pieces that I want. You're, tr- you're trying to sell me on a premium experience. Yeah. And I'm looking at like a dash from 10 years ago. Like my Street Fighter dash could give this dash a run for its money in terms of sophistication. Yeah, some segmented LCD fit, thing. Finish and all that stuff. And, I think that's kind of where I don't know if the motorcycle industry is trying to create some margin. So we're just like, hey, we're inflating these prices and we're trying to sell you on brand. 
but we're still, you know, cutting corners on wheels and suspension and brakes and electronics and things like that. Or if like, there's just like a disconnect or what that is, but like, I'm, it's a trend that I'm noticing. You think it's new? Cause I feel like that's always been the case in the motorcycling industry where they give you a bike almost as if they're giving you a clean slate for you to go and do a neat custom job on. Well, I mean, like the Indian's a great example of a bike where I literally have been like joking around. I even said this in a review. Like my joke is that it's, um, you know, monster 1200 pricing at Yamaha FCO nine performance. Yeah. And that's like kind of the thing where like, you know, I think a lot of the European brands have done a really good job of making, of creating an expectation at a certain price point. Like, Hey, if I'm going to spend that remote target SP comes to mind and what's the pricing on that? It's like closer to 17 yeah. now. Yeah, it, it is. was like 16 when I bought mine. You're going to spend sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars, but you're going to get Olin suspension. You're going to get forged aluminum wheels from Archesine. You're going to get top, not top shelf Brembos, but you're going to get good Brembos. But stuff. pretty good Brembos, yeah. Um, you're going to get, you know, cornering ABS. You're going to get the traction control that has like, you know, that separates wheelie control and has engine braking control, and maybe there's a launch control. Like, but it's it's a robust system that has you know levels. You're gonna have different throttle maps, yeah. and maybe it has some sort of connectivity. And there's a nice TFT dash to go with it that's big and bright and easy to use, and that makes sense at that price point. You're like, this is a luxury item. And then there's a couple of brands that are kind of like weaseling the products in there. And I think the the Indian FTR 1200S is a great example. It's fifteen thousand five hundred dollars starting. I think you pay a little bit more for the race replica bodywork, and you kind of sit there and you're like, so electronics are kind of rudimentary. It's like traction control is either on or off. ABS is either on or off, and you can only turn those things on or off together. It's like oh. either you have everything or wow. you have nothing, and you have three riding modes. And okay, that's cool. And you have a TFT dash, which is nice, and it's got some interesting things. And it's a touchscreen. I'm like, okay, that's cool. But like, you kind of have like this, you know, bargain basement suspension that's fully adjustable but you can't adjust the forks because the handlebar goes over all the all the knobs that you want to change so the only thing you can change really easily is the compression and the shock is kind of just like eh. you just kind of sit there and you're just like and this is like almost sixteen thousand dollars so do they have a book of you know upgradable aftermarket parts like suspension brakes no well i mean they've got like a performance catalog thing where they've got like four preset kind of trim levels you can buy yeah. like the rally and the sport and this and that terrain and it's like screens and pipes and stuff like that little bits and bobs and that's that's fine and all but i shouldn't have to go to the aftermarket or like the you know post sale whatever to get those kind of things and i'm just kind of struggle with that and i was the same thing with the husqvarna i was just sitting there going like the whole shtick is that husky is supposed to be the premium version of ktm but it's not. But, but it's not. No, not not that specific model, anyways. That model, not particularly. Like, I mean, I guess the dirt bikes have some different things on them that are a little bit more premium. But like, I'm still, I just sit there all the time. I'm like, where's the beef? Where's the beef? Where's, where's the, beef? the beef? Where's the beef? Husky? Where's the beef? Indian? Where's the beef? Zero? Because I'm kind of struggling with it, and this I just, is, I don't know. Maybe if it's just the bikes that have been in front of me lately, or maybe they're just trying to sell there. you the sizzle. They forgot about the beef. That's the thing. And, and, I, and I think a brand like Zero, where, I mean, now you're kind of like the only electric player in the space right now, and that's that's got to be worth something. But, like, your brand isn't that strong in terms of creating a premium experience. Yeah. Like, truthfully, you've, you've wasted, like, oh, 
man, you've been in business 13, 14 years. You've wasted maybe nine of those as being kind of like a, a bargain basement product where it's like, you look at it and you're like, really? I think that's bicycle. Aren't those bicycle pieces? <laughs> you know, so Chinese tires, Chinese brakes. Like I just feel, it just feels very cheap. Like if you're selling me a $3,000 motorcycle, I'll be like, yeah, it's a $3,000 motorcycle. That's cool. Right on. Great value. But you're like, you're sitting there trying to sell me something more. I don't know. It's just tough, Shaheen. It's just tough. And that's just, that's what I'm waiting for, for them is, is giving me a bike that feels like, Hey, here's, here's some beef with that sizzle. You got some bacon and you got some sizzle from that mm, bacon. If you're lucky, you'll get some kind of a nice side, like loaded mashed potatoes. A little pork belly mac and cheese. That sounds mm. good. Can you tell that we haven't had dinner yet? We haven't had dinner yet. I'm really hungry. Mm, mm. <laughs> but it's good to see that you're interested in it, that it's a bike you wanted to hop back on. I really feel that is the litmus test for riding a motorcycle. And it was the same thing with the Indian. Like, There's a lot of things I don't like about it. There's a lot of little things, like you said, that I can nitpick. Yeah. Bike's fun to ride, though. It is, but you know, I always go back to the ultimate question after I ride a bike like that. Would I spend my money on it? Yeah, that's the thing. Well, I'm, I was never going to spend my money on the Indian. It's just not my jam. I'm just not looking for a street yeah, but if you're looking like at that, that. If you're looking at that FTR 1200, you're looking at other bikes like, uh, what are you looking at? Because I mean, that's such a unique motorcycle. I mean, power-wise, you're looking at a Monster 821, I guess. When it came out, when it first was announced, I think it was unique. But then you saw this fart pulling 701 come out. Then you've got like all these Ducati Scrambler models. Right. And, and I think those three things really kind of are all in the same space. Yeah, you got the the Triumph with the 1200 motors well, in them now. That's a, I feel like that's a very different bike. That starts getting in. That, I feel like the Triumph is really more of a true scrambler, where like the Ducati scrambler, desert set it, sled aside. Right. Those really are more like street trackers. And truthfully, that's kind of how like Ducati's been treating them. Like you go to World Ducati Week. They have the scrambler race that's on a TT course for flat yeah, track. That's true. So I look at all those things and I think like at the end of the day, I really like the spark because it's so light and it makes so much power. There's things about it I really don't like, like the the fit and finish and the the pricing and, and all that. But I'm probably gonna go with one of those or maybe one of the Ducatis. I'm not gonna get the FTR because I, I would like to have the power. I'd like truthfully, I'd like to have a chimera of all of them. Because I like the power and the torque yeah. that comes with the FTR. Because that's, that, that's a lot of motor. That motor is just like they shouldn't even talk about horsepower. They should just talk about torque. And that torque curve is so wide and so flat. So just start right at idle and keep going. Yeah, and that's what's fun about that bike. And I and I should preface, we had an issue with the bike that I got that apparently has the pre-production throttle mapping on it. So I had so many issues with the throttle and the mapping. In fact, I just the bike just left my house today. And I was riding it out to the truck because I got this big semi truck that comes pick up the bike from oh me. Oh God! In the rain, and it yeah, it wasn't raining too bad. <laughs> but the damn thing died in my driveway as I was wheeling, wheeling out, and it died at the stop sign. Like as I was going past the the bar here, right, it was coming up to the stop sign, and it died again. I was just like, like yeah, good, get out of here. Go, like go I'm away. done with your little spurts and spots. And it's not a it's not a good example for you as a journalist. No, to- I mean that's a that's I mean truthfully that's a miss on whoever. Indian was in charge of that, and they're gonna, they're trying to get me another bike that's got the production map on it. Okay, so at least they're trying to fix it. So they're gonna fix it. And truth be told, like talking to the guys that were at the press launch in Mexico, they didn't have any issues with it. And okay. now I'm kind of like, well, I wish I was at the because I had the option of going to the Mexico thing. Could have gone the bar, man. And I could, but I got I was like, exclusive is better. That's the whole thing. We could talk about it, but <laughs> at the end of the day, I don't think Indian's terribly happy, and I don't think I'm terribly happy. And I think that's a shame because there's a lot of things about that bike I like. 
But like you said, it's not a bike I'm going to buy. I had a lot of fun riding it. It, it. If someone said like, hey, I'm into that. I'm into that. I like the way that looks. I'm into the street tracker thing. I like American made stuff. I'm like, this is a bike That's for the bike you. for you. There yeah. we go, buddy. And I think if you put the like the scrambler style, flat track style exhaust, Manson Hines has a version of it. It looks really good. Yeah, it looked really good. That really makes the lines cool work it. because like the exhaust as it is now, I just go like, oh, that's cool. Cool Monster 1200. It almost looks like it took <laughs> it's the same style. It's the same exhaust. It really right? is. You know, like you like sit there and you're like, really? That really? So, so if you buy the FTR 1200S, what's the price tag on that bike? 15.5. 15.5. Uh, Scrambler 1100, because I think size for size, that's probably the one you're going to have to go for. Oh, man. I have a sheet I think that's somewhere cheaper. that has like all these things on it and you're going to make me. I, I really think the Ducati is the cheaper answer here. The Ducati is the cheapest bike. It, I mean, it depends what trim level you're going to get, but the Ducati starts at like nine four, right? Uh, I forget what the eleven hundred goes for because that's going to be the more analogous. But I know you can get into the eight hundred for nine four, and that's got cornering ABS on it. It does, but I'm I'm trying to keep it somewhat similar as far as size, weight, engine size ish. You know, twelve hundred versus eleven hundred makes a little more sense, and I think the eleven hundred has all the, you know, traction and ABS and all that stuff on it too. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Um, and of course, Ducati's website's a nightmare. Oh, God, it's the to worst. find pricing on. If you're listening, Ducati, please stop doing your stupid website. I think their base model 1100 is like 11 change or 12 change because you can get up to about 15 grand on one of those if you go to like the S or the whatever it's called. I just like that I click the bike that I want to know more about and then it's like, here's information about the other bikes you didn't want to know about. There we go. I got to click this again. It's just stupid. Just stupid. I got to like scroll down. Then this thing says price. Why am I in British pounds? I don't live in England. <laughs> Seriously? Now I got awesome. to change what country I'm awesome. in because you keep thinking I'm in England. <laughs> like what? No. No, you stupid thing. You, you, you oh, almost have to go to like your own website and look up if you, if you wrote anything I really should have. I would have taken less time. Although one of the things I just noticed looking at Indian stuff, they changed the price from when it came out to now that it's actually out. They upped the price $500, and that makes oh. me look like a big liar. Liar, liar. $13,000 for the 11 hundo, which is right in the territory of the base model Indian yeah. FTR-1200. But the base model 11 hundo has adjustable suspension and everything on it. Uh, does it? I don't I think know. it does. It's an easy way to find out. Chassis, Marzocchi, fully adjustable forks. Yep. Kayaba motor shock with preload and rebound adjustable. So, I mean, it's still that's still more features and specs than uh, than the base model FTR, which has non-adjustable suspension. Right. So, and I believe on the Ducati you can shut off ABS and traction separately from each other. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it's got levels of ABS like the other Ducati models do, but still, it's not as um, not as powerful, not as much torque. But I mean, I. I think like I think you can make an argument. Like, it, it's interesting to me that the Ducati option is cheaper than the Indian option. I I remember when we did the the so I got I got to be one of I think like a dozen journalists from around the world that got to ride the pre-production models, and this was like nine months ago or something. And I remember afterwards they were asking us, you know, they're like kind of like picking our brains, like Jensen, like they're asking everyone, but not just me. They're like Jensen, what would you what would you think for pricing on this? And I'd be like. Yeah, I think um, 
man, if you guys could get it sub 10 for the base model and maybe like 13 for the S, that would be awesome. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, like maybe you can do like 11,000 or 10,999 or 10,799, but like if you could make it 999, like that would, that would really sell like That'd be competitive as hell. And they just looked at me like, like I was an idiot because <laughs> I was, because they were thinking 13,000 for the base and 15,000 for the S. And I was like, you know, $4,000 off or $3,000 off. Delta's a little off there, sir. But that to me, like when you, when I got on the bike and I saw what it was and what I felt like it was, and I looked at the build and I was like, that's what this bike is. And you look at a scout, you can get into a scout for 10 G's. Yeah. And this is just a scout with a different motor. Now it's not, it's a completely different, different motor they won't bolt in you can't bolt a scout motor into this the cases have different bolt patterns but they are very 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 closely related you can tell like they come from the same idea the same same architecture (laughs) they they are siblings in a very close family you know maybe maybe they were kissing cousins for parents or something like that indians stop letting your cousins kiss it's weird yeah it's a little weird but you know you just sit there and you're just like well you know that's why I sit there. I'm just like, where is the beef? Like, okay, you got a TFT dash. Okay, great. But everyone's got a TFT dash. Now it's cool that yours is well, touchscreen. Well, this has got beef in it. It's just you're buying it at like a high end. You're buying it at Whole Foods. Well, you're having to pay twelve ninety nine a pound for fucking tri tip here, man. And and understand. <laughs> and this is I actually had a really valuable conversation with someone that's a little bit more on the American motorcycle side of things. And this is might be an interesting thing to like pick your brain on because I come at it. I'm a European bike guy. I'm, I've got a European name. I've lived in Europe. I've traveled. I, I like my European brands. Okay. I like my Ducatis, my Triumphs, my Aprilias, my Huskies, my KTMs. I mean, fuck, you go down to my garage. I've got one Japanese bike and I've got a bunch of other European bikes. You know, like, it's just, it's totally lopsided. Right. So I get it. And maybe I look at it from that lens. And the European bikes do a really good job of of kind of, they, they separate out their tiers and they do it with components and they make sure that their expensive bike has like the right brands on it. But maybe I need to look at it from like an American lens where you look at Harley Davidson's and the, the price premium that they're able to stamp on their bikes because it's made in America, designed in America, American brand, Americana history, this, you know, iconic brand, this name that goes back to, you know, before the great recession and all that jazz. And, you know, they, Harley commands a premium for that. And I think Indians trying to do the same thing where there, there are, and I think there are customers that are like, yeah, I'm willing to pay a couple grand more if it says made in the USA on the side of it. And there's, there's, you know, you look at the U S market and there's a lot of evidence that like, "Mm, close to half of the market is that kind of buyer. And maybe that's what the European centric mind that I have misses. and, And maybe the price is okay. You worked at a Harley dealership. You know, agree or disagree? Um, both. He, here's the thing with Harley. Harley is to motorcycling as Walt Disney is to everyday Americans. Right? Everybody knows what that brand is. Everybody knows what it, where it comes from. Even if they don't know the details about it, everybody in America knows Harley Davidson. You can roll up to any place on a Harley. Shit, you can roll up to any place in a cruiser and somebody that doesn't know motorcycles will look at it and go, what kind of Harley is that? Even if it's a Yamaha. So people know what that is. And and much like Disney, they've built such a history that people pay stupid money to be able to buy a ticket to enjoy that experience. So I think Harley, Harley spent over 100 years kind of doing this thing through trial and error. 
and we can both kind of agree their business has gone down a little bit, but they still own, you know, half the market. So people that buy Harley. Half of the big bike market. Yeah, big bike market. About a quarter of the U.S. market. Yep. So people that buy Harley will always buy Harley. Um, You're you're either. Will it, or is Indian able to make that play that that they can convert a Harley Davidson rider? I think it's an uphill battle because they're not the first company or nor is this the first time that Mm -hmm. a different company has tried to come up with a big bike, you know, image to sell just to get a piece of that Harley pie. Because everybody's that's doing that, they're just clamoring to have like, you know, just these leftovers. You know, if if I want to buy a big Harley Cruiser but can't afford a thirty thousand dollar bike, I might go in to Indian and see if they have a different option. Uh, and if and if they're just as expensive, then in my mind, I would just rather buy the Harley because that's the brand that I've been told by everybody that's behind me, Harley, Harley, Harley. And if I truly can't afford it, then I'm gonna go look at the Japanese brands. And that's what really happens. So I I don't know how Indian's doing. I feel like you probably have a better idea of how their business has been doing in the last couple of years because crushing I, it. Is it? Crushing it. Well, that's good because when you go into their dealerships, their bikes are not any cheaper than Harley's. I don't think they are. And even if they are, it's not by a huge margin. You're not like saving loads of money by buying an Indian. So they're doing something right. Um, but I, I don't know. When it comes to these weird style motorcycles that's not their part of their original wheelhouse i hope that they succeed but i don't know if the answer is to charge a premium dollar amount for something that you and i will look at and go well i can either buy this for this dollar amount or i can go to a a japanese brand or better yet a european brand and buy a different one that's similar but cost me less money and i can have all the luxuries and all the you know all the cool mystique that comes along with that uh, european brand or i can save a ton of money and buy a japanese bike now i don't know if any japanese brands really offer a street tracker style motorcycle um but plenty of them are starting to you know offer cool you know cafe racer style motorcycles and classic style motorcycles and i think indian is kind of double dipping and trying to have that kind of old school style motorcycle but also that neat uh dirt tracker style as well but to answer your question, I think they're going to succeed, but I think it's going to be a very, very hard battle because I don't know the the people that I know that buy motorcycles like that, if they're going to buy a Harley, they're looking for big motorcycles. They're not looking for a street hooligan bike. Yeah, I think, I mean, I know that Indian wants to branch out from cruisers and I know they want to get into some more of the more mainstream segments. I know they want to get into a sports segment, adventure segment. Uh, we've seen leaked documents that show that they're going to come out with like a more street fighter version of the FTR for next year. Okay. And in the 2021 model year, we'll see an adventure bike version with all of the same 1200cc, uh, V twin motor. So I, 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 I get that this is the first step. You have this history of, you know, they've done a lot with flat track racing. They've built kind of a, a, a cache of, uh, credibility in the American flat track series. And here's a bike that is very close to the Indian scout, but just different enough. Like you're just building this bridge incrementally. And I, that makes sense to me. So I get, I get the play. I get what they're doing. I respect the idea. And I understand that this is just one point in time. And, you know, five years from now, when we look back, it'll like, it'll make a little bit more sense than it does right. now. But I hear what you're saying where it's like, well, you know, how many speed triple guys 
are now going to convert and go buy an FTR 1200 instead. Like, oh, I was going to buy that speed triple, but then I saw that in Indian and I was going to go hop on that. I don't know. How many Ducati guys are they going to siphon? How many Husky guys are going to get? Like, I mean, I don't know. I think the bikes, that's why I have a hard time with this bike because I get on it. I have a good time with it. It's fun. It is one of those bikes that I put it back in my garage. I'm like, yeah, I wonder when I can make some more time to get back out on that thing. Um, There's something here that is very enticing, very intriguing. I'd be very curious to see what that Street Fighter model is with the 17-inch wheels that can probably put sport rubber on it. Very curious to see what that feels like. Isn't Harley supposedly working on a Street They're Fighter? They're working on as well. Yeah, it'll have a 950 motor in it, which is going to be a little interesting. I mean, that's cool too. That's going to be a tough struggle for them because there's a lot of bikes in that segment for both brands. There's a lot of bikes in that segment that are pretty rad. You're going to go against Super Dukes. You're going to go against Tuonos. You're going to go against Speed Triples. You're going to go straight head to head with Monster 1200s. Potentially um, uh, Pikes Peak looking racer. Well, yeah. Then you've. I've got uh, a very good inkling that very soon we will hear an announcement about a Street Fighter V4. Yeah. Just a little spider sense. Little, my, just the, the little, hairs on my arm. Yeah, I was going to say hairs up. on my arm are percolating. Um, percolating? I don't think hairs percolate. <laughs> they no. do now, Jensen. <laughs> if, they, if your hairs percolate, you need to go see your doctor <laughs> because that is not good. My hairs percolated off my head and onto my face. Yeah. I have a big uh, beard now. But the, yeah, they prick they prick up. They're like, hey, hey, something's, hey. Going, something's going on over I, here. What's I going will on? say this about that FTR. I, I've said it from the minute I saw the pictures that you had like nine months ago. Yeah. And I uh, and I said it when I saw you roll up. I don't know if you saw the look on my face when you rolled up next to me on that thing. My jaw hit the floor. I will always say that that is a very handsome bike. It's a good looking bike. It's a like when you look, it's just it just does all the right things to me. Uh, as a motorcycle, it looks like a motorcycle, a good looking motorcycle. And one of the things that's not to be discounted, I got a chance to go to uh, during the one motor show, I got a chance to go down to Salem and ride flat track on a pre production bike. Nice. And I was thinking, I had a blast, and it does the thing very well. And it has like these, these, the Dunlop DT3R tires, which are basically street legal flat track tires. They do the thing pretty well. And I remember sitting there going, like, okay, I'm a sport bike guy, I'm a super bike guy. I buy super bikes that are designed. They're basically just race bikes with lights, and I take them to the track. And the whole idea is that I can take them from the showroom to the track and do right. the thing. Yep. And I understand that world. That is my world that I live in. This is the same thing for flat track or for super hooligan. Here's a bike that you can take off the showroom floor, you know, tape up your mirrors, and go rip around in an oval with your buddies and have a good time on it. I could take it down to our... I think Salem in the winter does like the Friday night lights kind of thing. And like, you can go do that, that thing. Or I went over to Andy Debrino's house. We did a little photo shoot and he's got a dirt track in his backyard and he was ripping around. I'm like, this is the bike that you can roll off the showroom floor and do this with it. It's a little heavy. It's a little awkward. I probably want the KTM or not the KTM. Sorry. The, the Husky Spark Plan 701 instead yeah. to really do the thing. But it is a version of that where I can roll it off the showroom floor and go do this thing that I'm watching racers go do. It's not that far. It's not that watered down from what they are doing. And that's really interesting. And this, this flat track racing thing keeps building steam like it seems it is. Especially if this super hooligan thing keeps building steam. Here is a turnkey bike that does that. And that's pretty rad. That is super rad. It's, I mean, it's, it's a unique looking motorcycle. It's a lot bigger in person. Yeah. Than I, than the photos. Yeah. 
And it's not fair when a guy like you and I sits on it because we're pretty big dudes and we make it look a little bit smaller. Yeah. But, you know, parking next to, say, like your Street Fighter, that's the first thing I noticed. Or, it was like a, it's not a foot longer, but it feels like it's a foot longer. It's just a big bike. Parking next to the Goldwings, that's where I was sitting in my garage. <laughs> the wheelbase and, about and the they, same. And they kind of look the same. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? Some of it's the wheel that, ooh, some of it's that wheel, that 19 inch front wheel yeah. so big and the, the rubber is quite tall. And, you know, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's interesting. It's an interesting bike. I will be very curious to see how it sells. The reviews on it seem mostly positive. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I just, it's not one of those bikes I'm going to sit there and be like, buy this bike. But like, I get it if you like it. Well, you know the question everyone's going to ask, Jensen? And I think it's kind of an unfair question to ask right now, but what's the Beeler score? The Jensen? The Jensen score? Jensen Josef Beeler score. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'd have to think what the scores are for other bikes. I mean, I mean that's the thing. I haven't decided what bike is the reference. Probably the, I think the Scrambler 800 is the reference. You think so? Not the 1100? Because it, it came out first. It's kind of set the market. That's that's where I see it at. Yeah, I mean, because it's hmm. just, that was, that was the one that's like, set, I mean, like if you want to talk units sold, Scrambler 800 is oh, yeah, way more. Yeah. So like, okay, so if that's the 100... Where does this fit in there? Fuck. I mean, I don't know. It's really close to the 100 because it does some things much better. Like the motor for sure is much better, but it's so much heavier. And you and the price point's so off that those things kind of balance out. Like I think I think it's going to end up being like a 99 or a 98. Just but that's going to be a really tough score to to really tell what's going on. And I think at the end of the day, like I'm going to put the spark pull in right there i think the spark plan 701 is going to end up being like a 101 really i thought it scored lower because to the 800 yeah i think it's gonna be right there and then maybe like the scram like scramble 1100 like i don't know do you think you'll ever be able to do a side-by-side comparison of say a scrambler 1100 and the ftr 1200 i mean we can probably make that happen that, that, that'd be a pretty good article I'd, I'd be interested in reading your thoughts on that that'd be interesting take that out to debrinos or salem and just give them a couple of couple of laps each do street and then do dirt basically call it you know the new track yeah, bike i mean i'm not nearly we'd have to get andy involved he's he's actually been really wanting to get involved he's gonna say I, I, I doubt very much he's gonna say no to this idea. yeah i'm i'm just i'm not a good enough flat tracker to to be able to to reasonably evaluate those things like i kind of i kind of know what i'm doing right. but I, i'm i'm just out there having fun uh doing the thing you you want me more on a sport bike um yeah, that'd be an interesting one to talk about. That'd be interesting. Then you can give be them cool a proper... get a Husky in there, too. Yeah, that would really be the test. But that's the thing. Like, for me, and I, I said this in my review as well, and this is why I'm kind of struggling. There are bright spots on all those bikes that I really like. And there are negatives on all those bikes that I really don't like. And that's where, like, they're all going to kind of come down around the hundred area, mm-hmm. but it's because they're anchored on like both sides. Like there's parts that shine, there's parts that are really dim and like you're just kind of averaging into the middle and the middle should be a hundred. It's like an IQ score, but that's going to give the readers and listeners a, a chance to, if somebody's in the market to find a bike like that and you're the one that's doing the breakdown between yeah at least just those two right 1100 versus 1200 what i think it comes down to too is like what's your priority like if you want like what which one would i want to take around in an oval i'm gonna want to take that kt uh, i keep saying the ktm how funny is that (laughs) i'm gonna want to take that husky because man it's it weighs 
It weighs almost like 150 pounds less than the Indian. What is the what is the Huskies weight? It's like 370 or something so, stupid. So that like bike that. weighs about the same as a Scrambler 800. It is lighter than a Scrambler because I remember looking at. I I have a sheet somewhere, and I don't know why I don't have this in front of me. I have a sheet somewhere where I did it all down, and I think the Husky's like 20 pounds lighter than the Ducati. What's the horsepower on the Husky? Off the top of my head, well, it's a 690 Ish. motor, so it's going to be about 70 horsepower. 70. 70. So that's that's more power than the scrambler because the scrambler I think is like sixty three. Uh, I think I still have no. Enough. It's no. It's I'm sorry. No, it's supposed to be more than that actually. No. The, yeah, because the it's the eleven hundred like is maybe eighty six horsepower, and I think the um yeah I think the eight hundred is like sixty eight. Oh, come on, Ducati! If you're stupid website, your stupid website. Stupid website. It's so dumb. Stupid. See, guys, we don't love the, everything about Ducati. It's just the Scrambler one that's really messed up. Like the Ducati one's fine. It's the Land of Joy website. It's a totally seventy-three horsepower yeah. on the eight hundred Scrambler. That makes sense. They're kind of close. And then the Sparpolin, what is that? It's got to be close to seventy because that's what the. But it weighs less. Weighs a lot less. Well, not a lot. See, I think that's a closer test. And if that, ooh, see, that's going to be a tough one because the Scrambler eight hundred costs. A huge amount less than that smart pillin. Yes. We're talking 9,500 bucks versus 12,000. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. 75 horsepower on the, on the, see, that's smart the test pillin. I want to see. I would love to see the 701 versus the Scrambler 800, the FDR 1200 versus the Scrambler 1100, and just to see how those guys stack up against each other. Yeah. Yes. And weight without fuel is 157 kg. 346 pounds and then i think that's like a three gallon tank so it's 18 pounds let's call it's 20 so it's like yeah it's like 366 pounds yep so that would be a i'm into that that'd idea. be interesting I'd be, I'd be i'd be down i think andy be down have you ever noticed how people get more upset if you're candid about gear than motorcycles like if you say i like such and such helmet they're like sell out but if you say i like such Sometimes, and such motorcycle they're like well that's cool it I mean, depends I, like I mean it's an interesting thing tires oil yeah. Those are the classics. Helmets, to some extent, yeah. I think it just comes down to lack of knowledge. I, it's funny. I was just recording a, a show, um, the intro for a motor podcast that'll come out before this does, and we talk about tires. We have uh, Oscar Solis from Pirelli sits, sat down and talked to me for a little oh, while. Oh, man. What a brain to pick. Which is cool. Yeah. He's got... Oh, man, it's just There's just so much. We're going to have to like come back and visit Oscar a couple more times because we'll just dive deeper and deeper and deeper into it. But talk about something that's so important and so misunderstood. And like, I would say 99% of motorcyclists, like I was just at the racetrack the, the other weekend and I, I'm talking to racers who's, you know, lap times and, you know, to some extent their lives depend on tires. And just to see like how entrenched, like, oh, I just only ride brand X. That's just, I just trust brand X. You can't get me on brand Y because Ooh. I rode brand Y 15 years ago. And <laughs> I had this thing happen to me that I 100% attribute to the tire and not myself. And you just sit there and you're like, man, how, how do you just argue with that unreasonableness? Like, it's just hard. Can't. Because it's just like entrenched. And it's the same thing. Like, I feel like the things that we understand the least are the ones that we get the most entrenched on. Like, I think it's the same thing with helmets. We're like, I only, if you got a $50 head, buy a $50 helmet, blah, blah, blah. I buy this brand because this brand's the good brand and it's the safest brand. I'm like, I've seen no data suggest that one brand is more safe than another brand. I've seen no data. No. There's, there's stuff from Sharp that's pretty good. You can talk a little bit about um, different standards that helmets are built to now, but like they're all more or less the same. And I don't think at the end of the day you're going to really convince me that something that scores like 250 Gs versus 280 Gs on the impact test is really materially 
how that materially changes in terms of what's been happening to like my brain in terms of concussions or whatnot. And so like most of the time it's just like, it's just marketing and it's just price and it's just fitment. And it's probably the reverse order of that in terms of uh, what should matter to the end user. It's the, the thing with motorcycle, as I call them, the peripheries to motorcycling, tires, helmets, stuff like that. People are um, swayed by interesting ways, but I think tires and helmets specifically, it's so about what they believe is the right answer that stops them from going a different direction, right? Yes, and you if said I, the right word. If I believe that Dunlop believe. is a better brand, yeah. then I'm always going to ride, maybe even better if I have Dunlops under me because I believe it's going to perform better. And if there's anything that like the Crusades or any of these like <laughs> holy wars have taught us is that stop with your science right now <laughs> changing someone's belief oh. is so impossible if you believe yeah. that one bike is better than another if you believe that one helmet brand is superior to another or that this oil has magical properties that that oil doesn't or that this tire if you believe this tire is the best tire you will never change that person's no. opinion. And that, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's where it comes from. I believe that this brand helmet is the safest. I have no scientific data nope. to prove that. I have only anecdotal evidence that's usually of like one data point. Well, the one time I got a concussion, I was wearing this brand helmet. So that brand helmet must be horrible. Well, yeah, well, you're also going 300 miles an hour and your head hit a telephone pole and then right. it went through a chicken coop. And after that, you know, you were submerged in water for 4.2 hours <laughs> and somehow you Blame still survived. Fish. Sounds like the best fucking helmet I've ever heard of. <laughs> you're still alive. And I've been victim to this too. Like, um, the only time I've gotten seriously injured on a motorcycle, I was wearing Icon gear. Don't like wearing Icon gear. Yeah. It's it's in your head, but now. I know I know that that is a data point of one, right? And that that was in and that motorcycle crashes are dynamic events. That also happens. The only time I've gotten a concussion was wearing an icon helmet. So now we have two data points, but dun, dun, dun. but still, that's anecdotal. That's you know, like you have to like realize it yourself. Like, well, okay, that happened, but would I have gotten any more injured wearing someone else's gear? And understand that that is a hypothetical question that you don't actually know the answer to. No. You don't want to find out necessarily either. So, I mean, like, there's there's a lot of things that go on with that. Now, I know that empirically, if I'm wearing an airbag-equipped suit or jacket, I am going to be safer than a non-airbag suit one. Uh, I think there's some evidence. In fact, I'm about to I fly to Sweden in a couple of days to go visit MIPS. MIPS. And there's some really good evidence that a helmet equipped with MIPS or some form of similar technology that dampens the rotational force, I'm probably going to be safer in that type of helmet than someone else's. Are we talking a marginal difference or a substantial difference? I don't know. I'm hoping to go find out. But there are little things like that. But by and large, like arrive versus showy, which one's safer? Which one's better? Uh, which one fits you better? I don't know. Which religion are you? Are you Protestant <laughs> right? or Catholic? Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Um, I think all, people spend more time um, worrying about that than finding out how it's supposed to fit them, right? And that's the thing. Like, like the helmet that fits you is so much better than the helmet that doesn't fit you. Like, yeah. just full stop. Yep. Just full stop. Uh, the helmet that doesn't fog up when you breathe is better than the helmet that does. The helmet that you can wear for six hours and not, like, get pressure points and not get tired and not, like, have a headache is the better. That's more important. And I think that gets lost in the conversation. Absolutely. Can. You're right. 
it's a it's interesting how people are so passionate about these little things and it is definitely a belief system and the people that they listen to these you know these other masses are someone that honestly the only way you're going to change someone's belief is if you are believed to be a higher authority on that subject matter maybe i mean that's the thing like my job as a as a motorcycle journalist is to be agnostic like that's the thing i don't believe that ducati motorcycles are better i don't believe that ktms are better i don't believe that hondas are better right I go out and I ride those bikes and I really try to make sure that I ride all the bikes in a segment to make sure I'm like, okay, I've ridden everything in this segment. I know where everyone is like, this bike does this a little bit better, that bike. That's mm-hmm. why like, we we're talking about these, these grams like, well, you know, I don't know which one's the best, but I can tell you where their strengths and their weaknesses are. And I have to really sit down and maybe do them back and forth and maybe get a couple other people's opinions to really kind of form my own belief right. on the subject. <laughs> um, but at least that's backed with some scientific or at least some firsthand evidence. Um, but it's, you know, and that's, I think that's the more important thing. Like there's, there's starting to become some more resources that are out there. You know, I like that Revzilla has a lot of videos and gear reviews and that you can get people talking about gear on their website. And there, there used to be a great website called uh, web bike world that did a lot of product reviews. And now someone bought them and it's gone to hell in a handbasket. And they basically just rip off my stories, which is, Probably not polite to say, but they really do. So it's a shame to see where that site has gone. But that was a great resource if you're buying gear. And um, truthfully, like YouTube has opened up a market for for people that are, you know, that want to do it, they can do it. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to see. It's I mean, that's what I do if I'm looking at, let's say, adventure tires. What kind of tractor tire am I going to put on my motorcycle next season? I go on YouTube. I look up a lot of different. Because I want to see what the average rider is talking about. If I'm looking well, at a Michelin versus Dunlop versus a, you know, Motaz yeah. or whatever. And that's where it gets hit and miss, though, Shaheen. Because, like, some of the times I was just listening to, um, I won't say what I was listening to because it's not fair to, like, blast someone. I was listening to someone in the space, in, in the media space. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that they're more just enthusiasts than than professionals. And I was listening to them, like, espouse some opinions. And you're sitting there going, like, I'm like, wow, like, wow, your facts are really wrong. Like you're just factually saying things that are wrong. But like also like, I'm like, man, you you think you think this bike is the best bike. I'm like, have you ridden any of the others? <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like here's a great example. Like we talked, we did the the super bike death match and we, you know, we sat down and all those bikes are really good bikes. And I remember having a conversation with some other journalists and they were saying like, because they were, they were kind of talking smack about someone who's like, oh, I think the Honda CBR 1000 is the best super bike ever made. And you're like, you know what? There's a lot of positives. I bet you called it a fireblade. Well, yeah. Actually, I think they did call it a fireblade. <laughs> Case um, closed. But it's like, there are a lot of positives. You want to talk about, I think it's the best handling superbike on the market. I think it looks really good. I think for the price you get, I think Honda makes a really reliable bike uh, just as a brand. They have a history of making you know good product and you're going to get supported. And But like the best superbike, like have you ridden the other ones? Like, I think you you can make that argument if you've, like, said, well, yeah, well, for me, the most important thing is handling in my home track is, like, this just gnarly, twisty, tight track where horsepower isn't that big of a deal. Right. Now, I'd still say, well, have you tried the electronics? Because they're a little funky sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, I, I could at least, like, if you could back it up a little bit with a reasoning, but they're like, oh, yeah, the power is so good. And, like, you're like, really? Like, the power is so good? Like, I was, like, 10 miles an hour slower down PIR with that thing. Like, I was legitimately two seconds a lap slower than all the other bikes in that segment. So if we're going by that, no, it's not. Like it's one of those like air 
eyebrow raising like really you think that bike's the best bike you think the yamaha scr 950 is the best scrambler on the market go on I'm like i just want to know what color the people's opinions based on a much much narrower scope though well it's just one of those things the point i'm trying to get to is it was i remember them saying something that was like oh i know no one who knew like all the people who i would respect the opinion of i know none of them would say what you just said and they'd probably say the opposite so now i'm very like I get very leery when like the layman reviews some stuff because it's like, well, what's your experience? What's your background? Right. What have you ridden? What comparisons have you had? How recently did you ride that other bike you're comparing it to? Because if it's like three years apart, you might be talking about completely different models or different trims or something else. So I get a little leery when like people are like, oh, tire reviews from like the regular Joe on YouTube. It's like, well, okay. I mean, like, yeah, you're gonna get the like unfiltered, un biased i'm doing that quote thing but you're yeah, not like you don't low. have to worry about like the pr thing but like i've also seen like hey i got that tire for free so i'm gonna say it's rad you gotta and be that, careful with that and that's hard too and you're just like i don't know i think I the beauty know, of it is that 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 the social media youtube and social media in general is just filled with people that are dying to tell you their opinion about any number of things but if you're if you've been around long enough and you're able to let's say view a dozen videos of the same type. And that's what I do, right? Like if I'm looking at four different brands, I look at like half dozen reviews of each brand just to see if people are singing the same song about this one thing. Um, so it takes a little bit of time and that's kind of a neat little like late night thing to do with the phone plugged into my ear and I just kind of like listen to it. And if it sounds like the dude's only ever ridden a 20-year-old BMW with hide nows on there and that's that's his standard, then it's like, all right, well, I know what you're going to talk about. You're 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 talking about, or even big- better, like when they're the BMW GS rider and they've got the, um, you know, BMW gear on that's got the high vis. They got right. the high vis Schubert helmet, <laughs> and then they got the Heidenhau tires. And you're like, yeah, okay, so you're just like the German centric like GS rider. Like, there's like this weird thing with GS riders and wanting to buy like German things. They love it, and I get it. Like, that's that's a part of the thing. That's a part of the club or whatever. But like. Are the Hyden House the best tire for A to V riding? Right. I have yet to see a neutral party say so. Yeah. Is the Schubert helmet the best ADV helmet on the market, or the best sport touring helmet, or the best modular helmet on the market? Mm, I might know one or two professionals who would say so, but it's certainly not a consensus. Yeah. And I don't think that's really the case anymore now. Does BMW make good gear? Well, yeah, they make good gear, but does it good gear for the price? Or do you want to ride? Would you rather be in Climb? Or would you rather be in Revit? Or would you rather be in Dainese or Alpine Stars? Or I'm like, there's a lot of people. It's Lots like, of options. So it's just one of those things where it's just like, I feel like that's the trap. And I feel that, especially for the social media influence space, like the YouTubers or the Instagrams, eventually there's going to be like a reckoning of like, who knows their shit and who doesn't? Because there's a lot of people out there that are saying things. And like some of them you can kind of just spot and be like, yeah, you don't really like you really like I get like you're really enthusiastic, but you really should be advising people because like you don't really know. And you kind of have a tendency just to talk about whoever's sponsoring you. And I feel like that's going to be the next step of all that. Like people are going to start seeing through kind of the bullshit that's out there. Like yeah. it, social media influencers were supposed to be the unbiased everyday person, the bullshit. layman's if perspective. If someone's getting paid money, they're going to be biased about and it. And truly, I think they're the quickest ones to be biased because yep. it's like, hey, no, I'm getting that free oil. Now this oil is the best oil I've ever had. Woo! Like, you don't know anything about oil. You probably Bob, don't even think about viscosity ratings. Like, it's just like, like you can't, like, I don't know anything about oil and I'm a professional. Like, come on. Like, nobody really <laughs> knows that stuff except for the people in that business. 
So the lesson we're learning from this spout that we're having is trust no one. Trust no one. Yeah. But, you know, listen to a lot of people. Here's the thing. <laughs> and I, I, I firmly believe this about asphalt and rubber readers, and I think it's probably the same for our, our podcast listeners. You have a brain between your ears. Just use it. It's so hard, though. Understand, like, take in a lot of different perspectives. Understand the biases that those sources have. Consider the source. Consider the data points. Collect a lot of data and make up your own decision. That's, that and, is... And then trial and error the shit out of it. Uh, that's it, right? If you have the opportunity to try different brands of tire, I, I have not stuck to one brand of tire ever, and I've been riding for twenty something years now. It's hard. I want to try them all. I'm curious to see what they have to offer. I mean, it's really hard if you don't have multiple bikes because you know, like, I've got, I've got tires on all my bikes that have been on there for like a year because it's just like I've got too many bikes and I have too many press bikes to really go through a set of tires. Oh, like boo hoo. <laughs> I mean, yeah, boo-hoo, but like I'm trying to think like for the typical right. person, that's right. going to be kind of like their life. And the hard part is, man, if you rode on Michelin's 10 years ago versus Michelin's now, you're talking about completely different tires. Oh, God, yeah. It's the same with Dunlop, and it's the same with Pirelli, and it's the same with Bridgestone. Like, I know racers that call Bridgestone's tombstones because they crashed on Bridgestone's a lot. And you're like, well, you know, maybe back in the day, that was kind of like a bad tire to be on, maybe for your application. Well, now, like, those things can be completely different. It's the same for Dunlops. And it's the same for Pirelli's. And it's like things evolve over time. They're constantly changing. So if you're not revisiting some of these preconceived notions or some of these notions that you've put together, then you're not challenging yourself. You're not challenging your beliefs. Oof. Easy. Easy, Tiger. Hey, yeah. um, speaking of Bridgestones, was that the tire that was on the bike that you were on the track with last yes, week? Yes, sir. <laughs> Hooked up real good. It looked like they worked really well. They, look, they worked up real well. Do you think you left any any darkies behind you? I know I did. <laughs> Those things started balling up. Those things were going pretty good. I might, um, I'm going to get a stern talking to from Honda on that one. I didn't say what you were writing. Yeah, but uh, you just gonna, spilled the it's beans. Gonna come out. But it's what gonna come Honda out. was it, Jensen? I took the Goldwing out. Did you so, did you blast music down the track? Goddamn right I did. <laughs> started I out it. started out with a little Kenny Loggins. Because oh you're in the God. danger zone. The barely, barely, barely. Then I went to uh, some Taylor Swift. Then we went OG West Coast rap. Got a little Dr. Dre, a little Snoop Dogg in it. Feeling my roots. Because when you're doing a track day on a Goldwing, you don't want to forget about Dre. No, ever. Don't forget about Dre. No. Uh, then we went into some Rush and some Journey. Rolling down the rizzle in my gold whistle. Yeah. Passing all these sizzles. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty hip. So, so how many... Wait, wait, what group did you write in? Uh, CMB. Yeah. I, I did like half a session in B. Uh, it, I, so what happened is I raced last weekend. We can talk about that in a second. And then I... I'd, Already obligated myself to control riding for the motocross track day up at the ridge. Right. And I was so tired on Sunday. Like it was 90 degrees on yeah, Saturday. You all weekend. And I'd already done a track day at the ridge the Monday before. Yep. And I was pretty, I was pretty, and I blew up my clutch. So, so it was like surprise ending. I, I blew know, up my I clutch there. in my I last race. That. So I didn't have my Kramer to go and I didn't want to load up the trailer. And I was just like, you know what? So I go up to uh, Chris Page, who's in charge of. The Omra, not the Omra, the Motocorsa control rider thing. And I'm like, hey, man, like, what do you think about me just C grouping it on Monday? And I'm thinking I'm just going to ride up on my Goldwing and ride back. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, light he's up. like, that is an amazing idea. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly what he said, but it's pretty damn close. But what he, better way to he, build like, this, confidence? Like, grin on his face. He's like, do you think we could go two up on it? And I'm like, if we don't tell Honda, we can. So did you? No. I officially did not go two up on nudge, the gold nudge, wink, 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 or the, you really no, didn't. No, no, I really didn't. Oh, um, that's because you're saving that for me. 
Yeah, we got. Which, by yeah. the way, we got to really do this. Well, we just got a thing from Honda. Sent us another Senna, okay. so we can do the communication. Okay, we should cool. talk after the show. We, okay. The logistics are coming together. Oh, I'm yes. so excited! Yes, I, we have teased that out for like three months. Uh, uh, it's going to happen. It's, it's going to be like the Tenere, but better. We're going to tease you about it, but we're actually going to come out with it. I guarantee. Uh, every time I say that, that's a oh, just careful, just a careful guaranteeing. I feel confident in this one. I guarantee we will get that done before the Tenere 700 comes to the U.S. market. Oh, which is a yeah. low bar. <laughs> fucking low bar dude i just saw i think they had some american Better chance of me going vegetarian before that bike comes yeah. out i think this they had happen. some american journalists out in spain for the launch for that and i was like joking i was like why are you sending an american journalist to a press launch when a bike's coming out a year from now over a year <laughs> from now like i get they want like, you to keep sprinkling i get that the publications want to have the review out for like google and seo and all that shit but you're just looking at like that bike is not coming out for another year, and we all know it. I hope someone brought that up. I was a little, I was a little feisty on they social media. They couldn't, they couldn't bring it up. Yama would have kicked them out. They would have kicked them out. They're so <laughs> that been in Spain alone. They're so, they're so thin skinned. Um, <laughs> just automatically uninvited myself from future launches. <laughs> you were being so good to Yama, like not uh, even five minutes ago. The 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 podcaster giveth and he taketh. That's right. <laughs> um, where was I? Honda Goldwing track day. Yeah, I had a blast. Uh, control road in C group, blasted the stereo. I think I surprised some people. I had a lot of, I had a lot of fun. You really got to hang off that bike because of the ground clearance. Um, I might have to buy Honda a new exhaust guard. Did you, um, but you dragged me. I did drag knee on it. <laughs> uh, what does that look like hanging off of a Goldwing? I mean, it looks like you're falling off the damn motorcycle, is what it looks like. I, uh, the photographer was out there. I don't know if he got the shot with me because like when he was there taking the photo i just kissed the ground with my knee and then the next pass he was moving positions when i came through and i had it i had it better on the deck then but i would imagine it looks like i'm just like getting off the motorcycle i mean like like physically like taking my body off of it as if i'm dismounting the motorcycle that's how i imagine it's gonna look but i am very curious to see what that photo looks like we'll put it on the facebook page um so were you were you able to mess with any of the electronics for the track there did you even uh, I changed the suspension. Oh, I started out. In, well, first I started out in touring mode. Well, because you toured. Uh, let's talk about you rode up there in the Goldwing. Yeah, it's a two and it, a half hour ride. I made it in two hours. Okay, it's a two hour ride. <laughs> you had yeah, your full like, race gear on on the way up there. Uh, I well, yeah, I did my two piece leathers. That's amazing. Because I got that Dainese airbag. I just wanted you to, like roll up next to another like touring person on a Goldwing and just wave at him like, "What's up?" Whoop, whoop. <laughs> gonna go gonna go tear it up with some track riders you want to come with me yeah i mean there's no adjustable traction control setting so that's a that's a ding you there, can't turn it off can't turn off the you can oh. turn it off i'm not fucking turning traction control off on that thing are you kidding how are you leaving darkies behind you just sliding just, just oh. wiggle 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 oh, wiggle, wiggle, old, wiggle 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 just backing it in you know just backing it in were you no, able to pull any damn woolies passing people no how did, okay, so for people, probably some of the people listening to us don't know the ridge, but coming out of like tear, turn eight and nine, you kind of go uphill into that left, yeah. left-hander. How did the suspension handle that weird? Because okay. it kind of bothers some bikes when you're just full It gets on a throttle. little weird. Yeah, it gets a little weird. Did there you was, touch there the was one lap where I went through and I was really going hard and I was like, I am, and I started dragging things like really hard and I was like, oh, I got to stop. This is going to end really <laughs> poorly. This is just, that would be an expensive I, I'm imagining too. right now with the Honda PR guy listening to this podcast uh-huh. is doing he, he, and he and does just listen. cringing and I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, you should. Cause it was a lot of fun, but yeah, it was cool. It's cool. It was fun. I think the, the, the whole thing with that is that bike is a lot of fun to ride. 
it's sportier than people think. If it had more ground clearance, you could actually rail on it pretty good. Uh, it makes good power. I I, I am never going to buy a Goldwing, but I totally get why people would. That bike... But I could see like 75-year-old Jensen riding I really enjoy riding, riding. That's, that's a bike that I really enjoy riding. If they sorted out that luggage thing, yeah. if it had better luggage space, right. I would totally consider it. I mean... Like, I want to ride a Goldwing now after hearing my club members who had gone up to Washington to do a track day saying they were trying to keep up with you on that thing. I was just, I was laughing the entire time. Yeah, I don't have track time, but uh, I don't know. I did okay. So the Bridgestones held up. The Bridgestones did great. Nice job, Bridgestone. They did great. Not a light bike, not a light no, day. Yeah. I don't even know what's on there. Bridgestone Goldwing. Nothing that was designed for the track. Bridgestone Goldwings. I think they make a specific because the previous Goldwing had like 16 inch wheel in the back, so they had to have like a very specific tire oh, that yeah, went on it's it. Super weird. Whatever they're on there. I wonder. I wonder if I can find out what's on there. Uh, feels like something that they wouldn't put. I'm pretty on. sure the conversation because I'd seen you on Sunday before you left, and you were like, "I'm going to take Goldwing." You what? What? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. Don't talk about it. <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I don't know if they say what tire comes on it. We should give it a shout out because it did. I didn't touch my pressures either. I was just whatever's. Well, you were in touring mode though. I I kicked it up to sport after like like I wish lunch. you had a uh, a cup holder that had like a I don't know a Slurpee in it from Seven Eleven. Eighteen inch front, sixteen inch rear. It's a two hundred fifty five sixteen rear. That's just wacky. That's if it was a two hundred sixty sixteen rear, that'd give you a little more ground clearance. I should go downstairs and figure out what it is. Because that, that tire deserves a shout-out. It's been nothing but solid to me. And I think most Goldwing riders are getting some serious mileage out of that tire. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, until you start putting the car tire on the back tire. Don't. 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 Dark. I just don't do dark, dark side, side stuff. Double don't, dark side. Don't. Double dark side. Don't double dark. Don't. Especially don't double dark side. Yeah. So, yeah. I had a lot of fun on the Goldwing. Had a good track day. Rode back down. Took a freaking huge nap. I lost about five pounds on water between the weekend. Had a great weekend racing. You Super you stoked. you were killing it. I got to come up to the track, albeit a little late, because I'd gone I'd gone camping with my you wife. You jinxed me, is what happened. Uh fair. That's okay. You were doing well to, um, until I showed up, basically. Yeah, I had a great weekend. I, I took home four trophies. I won my first motorcycle race. I had epic battles in most of my races. I think all of them, but one. It was like you down, collected three medals down to the wire. Um. Dropped a bunch of time, got into the 17s, which is not too shabby at, That's on insane. a middleweight, if I can say so myself. It's absolutely bonkers. Um, yeah, so just thinking about that, like I've dropped seven seconds since I've gotten on the Kramer. And I had, but like I had seven seconds to drop. I would say now I'm at the spot where I was expecting to be. And now it, now I can start learning. Now I'm starting like, in fact, I should say like, there's already things that I've learned. I think 18s is where I, where I should have been or what my skill level was. And now we've gotten the bike in my head wrapped around the bike to that level. And to get to the 17s, like I go through turn one, two and three much more differently than I used to. I'm much more confident seven, eight, and I'm still kind of figuring out nine. This is all at PIR. Yeah. I should say nine's a bit wacky. Um, passing at turn four and going through i'd go through turn four a little bit more differently now but that's mostly because of the bike but is it allowing you to kind of break later even though you have it's just a different line because you need much more momentum when you're on a super bike you want to just make you want to make the turn into a v yeah you want to stop as quickly as you can 
get the pike turning where it needs to go and get and on the swaddle as soon as it can because yep. you just have so much freaking power. But on the Kramer, um, or any middleweight, I should say, you want to keep that momentum going. Now, the Kramer can get away with being a little bit more stop and go than, say, like a cripple triple can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some extent, like the SVs, just because it's got a little bit more torque and like the, especially with the cripple triples, you really have to keep them on the boil. You really have to keep them in the rev range. Because if you dip down, there's just nothing oh, down. God, now. you gotta just so wait. That's kind of like it. the strategy, especially at turn four. Like when I, a couple of my battles were with guys on cripple triples, and a part of my strategy was like, okay, I'm gonna catch you. At, uh, one of the guys, especially, I would I was faster through three, which is a off camber left hand turn that scares the crap out of people. So it's really yeah. common to see someone like tiptoe through there. And I've always had it like I've never had any issues at that turn, and I see people tip through there. Like you need that, to show me your line on three because that is a that's the only turn I've ever gone down twice on. For me, like three is a great place to pick up a position or two, hmm. and so like I would go around them on the outside, which is a little sketchy sometimes, especially if they crash. Get and I would get around them uh, at three, and then I basically had them all the way to four. My whole strategy was just like. All right, I'm in control of this turn now, and I'm going to make sure that you have to come to as much of a complete stop as possible because <laughs> I know that I'm going to have better drive out of a complete stop than you are. So you're doing defensive riding. I'm, I'm just block passing. Oh yeah, at that point. And and it's take, it's taken me a little while to learn that, and I wouldn't say I did it successfully every time. And there's a learning process, and there. it's allowing and, you to get away enough that the back straight does not let them catch you. Yes and no, because then you have seven like eight, I said, nine to deal with. Mix mix success with that. But in theory, I should get out of the hole quicker than they they should on a cripple triple. Okay, um, but that was like my thought process, and and like truthfully, in in that race in particular, that strategy wasn't working out for me so well. So they would this this rider was was fast, and they mm-hmm. would come around me, and we, you know I think one time they came around me at seven, and I think another time I had to check them up at seven. No, I'm thinking of someone else. It was a different race, but they would come around me in seven. I'd be like, okay, so now I gotta like do it all over again, and. Every time down the front straight, they would get past me because they've got a horsepower advantage. Yeah. And they were getting good drive out of turn nine. And maybe I wasn't getting as good a drive or whatever that was. So I just changed my strategy and be like, okay, well, getting them at turn four isn't going to work. They're going to beat me to the finish line. And we you know, went through a couple of tries. I think I did that move three or four times at turn four. And mm. it was like, well, okay, this isn't going to work. I'm doing the math here. We've only got so many more laps. So I ended up passing them into turn one. And then, because I knew I was faster, I wasn't faster through one and two, but definitely. But if three. I but if I could get into them at one, then I would be ahead of them through two, and I knew I was faster three to four, and I know I'm fast through seven, eight, and nine, and yeah, that worked out a lot better. And I ended up, I think I won that race by like nine tenths of a second. It's pretty, which is it was a lot closer than than nine tenths for most of the race. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I'm starting to learn some things and I'm, I'm getting to that point now on the lap times too, where, uh, the people that I'm riding with have skills that I don't have or have, are, are better at certain parts of the track than I am. So I, when I get behind them, I can learn things and I can start being pushed and you can see it in my lap times when I get behind someone that is faster than me, you know, my lap times start dropping because I'm trying to catch, I'm trying to push myself to be up with them. And that's what I really wanted to get out of racing was, you know, be with, if you want to get faster at something, you want to get better at something, compete with those that already are. And I think I've said that before. Like, Don't be the smartest person in a room. Never be the smartest person in the no. room. Never be the fastest person on you're in track. the wrong room. Yeah, you're in the wrong room. So that's where I'm at that point now where that's that's the real value of, of getting quicker and getting comfortable is like right. now I'm seeing people like, yeah, you're, you know, you know this a little bit better than I do. You do that thing a little bit better. I'm going to learn from you. And I've you, had a couple instances already good, following you. riders that are better. I'm like, oh, I learn. 
Uh, in fact, that one, that turn one, two, one A, B, and then turn two. Like I learned that from, from Chris Page, who's our Omer president. I got behind him for like, you know, a lap and a half or so. And I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and I told him that afterwards. He's like, okay, well, you know the rule. Like you're not allowed to pass me with things that I teach you for like a certain amount of time. Yeah, There's like a statute of limitations <laughs> on, on how, on, you know, when you can use that, that skill set against me. So that's, uh, it's good to know. The um, student becomes the master. I know. So the race you got to go see was my middleweight GP race on Sunday. Which was the final race of the day. Final race of the day, last race of the day, well, last race of the weekend. Uh, I thought I'd signed up for it, and I apparently didn't. Oh, I, this was a little surprise. So I, I went and checked the grid, and I don't see myself on it. And I thought I signed up because I was like, I wanted to do seven races this weekend. I want to start getting more serious about that class because I know I'm going to be in that class for the whole year. And my my goal was to to break out of the middleweight sportsman class, which which I did. Uh, that was the race I won, and I can't go back into it now because I'm too fast, which is good. It's a good problem to have. That was and that goal came to me a little bit earlier than I wanted, so that's good. So I go and I look. I'm like, I'm out of this class. So I go up and like, hey guys, did I not sign up for this class? Like, did you did you miss something? Like, is it you or is it me? Let's figure this out. And they're like, oh yeah, I know you definitely only signed up for six races. We can put you in that class if you want. But you got to start at the back of the grid. I'm like, okay, sure, fine. What's my grid assignment going to be? And they're like, uh, row five, position three. Holy five C. Yeah. I'm like, okay. So I'm going to be doing some work then. That's you know, that's twenty something bikes there on the grid. So I line up and I go. I think to the at thing. one point you're in. I don't want to. Well, you were up there. Oh, so that's the thing. Dude, got you caught the up quick. Start of my life. I think I Cal crutch load the start a little bit. <laughs> I don't think I jumped the start, but I definitely was like, I'm like, I got to make up some ground and I need to get through this, this quickly. And you keep saying that's the, that's the thing you're having difficulty with. Is I am not a good starter. I'm, that's, Let's go to some drag race nights, man. Again, something I'm having to learn. I got the start of a lifetime. I was like fourth or fifth through turn one. So I went through four rows of, of bike to get there. You just shot your way up there. Which kind of is like like one of those like rebzipsiloquitor things where it's like if that's what occurred, you must have jumped the start. Like that's I like feel the like joke. they would have called you. Like if you've made three rows of progress, you've probably jumped the start. And like, well, I, that's why I say like I think I cal crutch load. If I'm honest, I think I cal crutch load it. Doesn't matter. We do like four or five laps. I'm having a great battle with with um, another rider, and I'm I'm kind of there for a couple other guys I wanted to chase, and I'm kind of in the mix. And I'm feeling really good about it. And and I just feel the clutch. I, I feel the the bike power just start going out. It's like it's starting to sputter. I'm starting to have some issues. And I can only rev it to like seven thousand RPMs. And it's like it's really just stuck at like seven thousand RPMs. Huh. It won't go past it. And I'd had some dash issues earlier in the day. The Kramer was giving me some issues. And I thought that maybe was part of it. Maybe I had like some fueling issue. And then I like roll the throttle back and it's like I can start making some progress. And it's like I'm like, man, I'm really just having issues with the amount of torque. That's being put through the gearbox. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's a clutch issue. I think I've got a blown clutch here. And it's like really. So I stayed out there for a few more laps trying to like just salvage the race because I I was keeping pretty good position at the time. And then then I had like a couple guys come past me and I see like we're at half distance because the GP races are 15 laps or long. It's like a 20 minute race, basically. And I'm going like, shoot. I've got another half of a race. I'm now like now I'm in like ninth, tenth, eleventh place. I'm like, you're not really getting any points, Jensen. And I'm doing like 90 miles an hour down the front straight or 100 yeah. miles an hour down the front straight. So I'm like 20, 30 miles an hour off the pace down the front. I'm like, 
this is getting a little sketchy. Maybe I should just pull in. Like, I'm not going to do anything out of this. I'm just going to be a hazard. So I pull off. And that was a little bit of a bummer way to end the day. But I'd had two days of really good racing. And I made really good progress on my time. So I was a lot of, a lot of hardware sitting on your counter up there. A little hardware on the counter. Um, definitely By hardware, got, I mean I mean metals. You've, you've won. Well, I got some trophies. I got, um, so I cleaned out. I got two seconds in the... Uh, uh, both of those were in the lightweight superbike class. I got a first in the middleweight sportsman. Nice. Um, and I got a third in the middleweight superbike. And that's the one probably I'm truthfully the most proud about. Because not only was it like a brutal fight um, for third. Um, I mean, that was every turn we were battling. I think we changed positions three times a lap. Nice. Um, so it was a really hard fought, really well raced race to have to go do the thing. But also, like, that class is so competitive. There's so many good fast riders. Like, I did not think at any point, like, when I wrote down my goals for this season, getting a podium in middleweight superbike was not amongst them because I did not think that was possible. And to, to be fair, like, the stars had to align. Certain guys weren't on the grid. Um, one guy was sick. One guy was having bike That's problems. Racing, man. One guy, I think two guys actually had bike problems. One guy crashed in the middle of the race. So, like, I think you can put an asterisk on all those trophies. But, but you like, could do that on every trophy ever gotten. I'm more I'm more about like what my progress is and who I'm racing against and you know each round and each race I'm making for progress right. and that's the most important thing to me. You look good. You look good out there and it's it's such a neat place to come to and watch all the competitors be so it's like this club that everybody's a part of even though you're racing against each other everybody's so happy to be there and helping each other out and if someone has a problem it just you can see other people running to the rescue yeah trying to make it work out no so i mean i think i said it on the last show you know i was on the struggle bus my first round especially my first day hmm. and like there was people that i was racing against that were helping me get my shit together and that's that's a cool thing and you know i try to pay that for it as much as i can because at the end of the day i don't want to beat someone because i outspent them or i was you know like i had a part that they didn't have right. like you know some sort of like stupid thing like i want to make sure like i want to make sure that the, i'm beating a grid that's as competitive as possible and i want my competitors as competitive as possible yeah. because there's a lot of very positive sportsmanship there yeah i, I, I would I say that, that by and large I, I in fact i haven't had a single issue with bad sportsmanship more or less i had a feeling what happened would happen to me if I came to one of your races and that the spirit would fucking overtake me <clears throat> and you were up there giving one of your speeches on your 85th you know medal that you received that day and my buddy's like hey how come you're not doing this with us I'm like I don't fucking know I think I yeah. need to get a bike for next year that's what happened to me dude I came it, out a couple times to help uh, a couple listeners, buddies I'm telling you be careful going to these events if you're already doing track days the, Jensen said it on the last show if you're already doing track days this is the next step yep and I'm seeing like all these people that I've done track days with that like I know I'm competitive with or faster than. And it's like, why am I not doing this? This looks like so yeah. much fun. There's you and a couple other guys in our little gr crew that I'm like, I'm, that my goal is like, I want to plant the seed. I, oh, I want to get you if, guys out there next next season, I'm, one way or I'm, another. It, it's not going to take much. I, I literally just have to find a bike that is, because my 999 is not a good bike for that. It's it's in a weird <laughs> It's in a weird spot. I mean, frankly, do, I think it's too much bike. You can do for novice that. one thousand, although there's not a lot of people in the class. No, no I'd rather be on a, a middleweight, lightweight. Yeah, like I mean, if Aprilia comes out with a six sixty, boom, there it is, right? Boom. But honestly, I'd probably just end up. I would love the idea of getting a, a cripple triple, because you can pick up an old R six for not a lot of money. Yep. 
uh, and just turn it into a, a race bike, a track bike for, frankly, you can buy a, a somebody else's track bike for no, not a lot of money and just do the thing on it. And at PIR, that is a good bike to have. Now, I, we're going to go to the Ridge next round, and I expect the Kramer to be the hot bike for the middleweight There's class. There's a lot more technicalities on that. On it's that. a lot more elevation. It's a lot, there isn't, I mean, this front straight there is pretty long, but it's not like PIR long. No. And um, a bike that handles well is going to go well at the Ridge. And having a bike that's like 100 pounds lighter than the others is, mm-hmm. is definitely a thing. And, and the <clears> torque <throat> and all that. Everything we just talked about in terms of power delivery is going to be huge. So that'll be interesting to see how that, that happens there. I think for my budget, I'm probably going to look at an R6 or maybe an SV650. Yeah. Um, oh, man, there's so many. SV- and it's so, so easy many. to make an SV650 go fast. You put a Gixxer front end on it. Yep. It's more or less a bolt-up. I think the top triple or the lower triple, one of the two has to be changed. But I would it, bet I can find one that's It goes right done. in. You get your radial brakes. You got a, a nice wheel. Yep. It's easy to, to get going on that. There's a lot of options. We have one listener who races on his, I think it's an SV650. I, I bet we got more than one listener. Uh, yeah, probably right. one that I notice I mean, a lot. He when follows I, me on my Instagram too, so we're always back and forth. When I was getting into track days, <laughs> SV650s were like the jam. Like That was like you wanted to go race on a budget, but mm-hmm. be fast and be competitive. Like That was the bike to get because it was just solid. They're reliable. There's a ton of them out there. You can get one used for super easy. And you just, it didn't take much to make them a good track bike. <laughs> I, I think, I think it's a really solid choice. I don't know. I'm curious. I'm curious what will happen next season. Cause it's, it's in my system and I haven't stopped thinking about it since, uh, since Sunday. Good. Oh yeah. Good. Thanks a lot. Thanks well, for nothing. You're welcome. A Sorry, Ann. <laughs> yeah. Team hashtag team Ann's going to kick your ass. Yeah. And she just bought me a bottle of Mountain Dew, sweetie. <laughs> she did. She went to the store and bought you a your own bottle. There's always a bottle of Mountain Dew in the house. I think the last time you came by, there wasn't one. And she was like ashamed. It's okay. I got to lose weight. <laughs> uh, you had Coke that night. Yeah. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, <laughs> mom. Well, no, Coca-Cola. I'm get you faster. Oh, so, I mean, you won first place on Mother's Day. I did. Did you call Mama B? I did call Mama B. Um, Was she excited that you were just in one piece? She really doesn't like me racing. No, no. Like, we almost immediately started talking about my cat. Like, hey, mom, yeah, I raced today. Yeah, you know, I wanted to. Oh, that's great, honey. How's your cat? How's good, kitty? I'm like, <laughs> Mom, if you wanted to change subjects like, right no, away, it's just the thing that I'm doing. That's like my whole life right now. No, no, the cat's the cat's good. No, I don't think anyone's fine. more proud of you than Mama B and everything you do. But as soon as you bring up racing, she's like, "Wow, what's that over there?" Yeah, <laughs> I think she would really rather I didn't do that. But whatever. You know, mother's uh, worst nightmare I think is her kid doing something as insanely crazy as motorcycle racing yeah and i think on a certain level too she has to accept the whole like motorcycle thing came from the well not in my house you're not right oh well guess i'm moving telling a teenager what they can't do has always worked out right what happens now so, i got a whole blog and everything there's a podcast and i'm racing and it's just, oh i'll show you that's all your fault it's all your fault <laughs> um but yeah uh, I don't know if I'm going to make my next round. I'm supposed to be in Germany, but what I haven't are you heard doing anything. in Germany? Can you talk about it? Uh, probably not. Mm. But I'm supposed to go ride a bike. So many secrets with you. I know. Um, do we want to wrap up or do you want to do our magic lamp? I got the little, right, here it is, bullet point magic lamp. I'm supposed mm. to know what that means. Magic lamp. All right, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. Huh, what, what kind of time are we on? We're like an hour and a half we'll ish. So you're gonna make me edit another two hour show, aren't you? Hell yeah. You're killing me. Listen, all the listeners are upset that there hasn't been a show up. That's fair. For a while. 
Well, I'm in terms of like when these, when, in terms of like the pro, the timing when this is going to come out, this will come out a week after the last one. The last one hasn't come out yet, though. Right. And that's been three weeks. So. Yeah. Apologies. This, this is why I'm doing what I do. I talk to our listeners so they don't come find us and kick our asses. I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> PR at it. Um, so the question was this. Say for an instance, you guys were on a trail exploring and you found this moto magic lamp per se. You each get one wish, which could be anything pretty much, but you could change the very fabric of moto history with just this one wish. What would your wish be, Jensen? It's a hard one. If somebody only gives you one, you're like, fuck one. What the fuck? Nothing. I'm going to put the damn lamp back. I would want, I would wish for three more wishes. Cause that's oh, the obvious that play. Is the always, that how is come no one ever makes that wish? Um, uh, this is, I knew we we're going to get in trouble because like I knew what I was going to say and I can't see us getting out of this conversation in less than an hour. I would wish that Harley Davidson never made a motorcycle. <laughs> and here's why. Here's why. It's not. Ooh, yeah, I need it, a wife for that one. It's not hater aid. It's not hater aid. Um, and I think you could say they don't make motorcycles already. Um, <laughs> But it's just that, and I've had this conversation a few times. I've had this conversation with executives. I've had this conversation with enthusiasts. I look at the American motorcycle market as a fractured market of two halves. One half is Harley Davidson and the other half is everyone else. And I think part of the problem and part of the trouble that we're having in the industry right now is related to the fact that 50% of this industry is Harley fucking Davidson and that it is a entity that is outside the industry. You're Harley Davidson riders only go to Harley Davidson things. They only go to cruiser rallies. They only mm -hmm. buy Harley Davidson's. They only wear like Harley Davidson gear or apparel that is vaguely of the same stature. They the only do only have Harleys. They don't look at other bikes. They only wave to each other. They only ride with other Harley guys. You know, like there's, they're just so insular. There's just so their own thing. And it is just so much about the Harley Davidson brand that they're just separate from everything else. Yeah. And then the rest of the motorcycle industry is just over here doing its own thing. Like there's like the motorcycle industry and there's the Harley Davidson industrial complex and they're two separate things. And I feel like when we look at um you know, sales figures and how dealers are doing and like people buying bikes and getting on things and buying apparel and all that stuff like the Harley Davidson side, which is tanking right now, is dragging everyone down with it. And we never built an industry that could that could stand on its own. Two of those legs of the table are in the Harley Davidson camp. And if, when those get kicked out from underneath us, the table has to fall over. And that's why I wish Harley Davidson had never made a motorcycle because then we'd have a real motorcycle industry in the United States, not this like fractured halves motorcycle industry that we currently are operating in. So let me ask you a question, though. You you don't think that Harley being who they are and who they were in the past was the reason why all these other brands came to the U.S.? Like, I mean, think of this. So Harley back in the day was known as the brand that all the gangsters rode, right? Like all the all the Hells Angels and stuff like that. Yeah. And so Honda came up with the whole, you don't you meet nice people. You meet the nicest people on a right. Honda because they want you to buy a Honda and be a nice person as opposed to a Harley. So you don't think, like to me, Harley's always been the big fuck off white shark and everybody else has been the remora around the shark. And when they do well, everybody else does really well. When they do really bad, everybody else gets dragged down with it because they refuse to let go of it. Like to this day, everybody's making cruisers, whether it's the thing they should do or not. 
just so they could have a piece of that fucking pie that's so outdated. Okay, so like counterpoint, right? Loud pipes save lives. <laughs> right. I should be able to decide whether or not it's my freedom to not wear a helmet. Right. The bitch fell off. Oh, yes. Bikini bike wash, Daytona bike week, Sturgis. Uh-huh. Think of all the things that you and I as a motorcyclist fucking hate and understand that they all come from like the Harley Davidson side Oh, absolutely. Of not but, to say there isn't like crotch rocket squids doing stand-up dank woolies that make us all look like idiots. But I would say the stereotype, and I think part of the reason the motorcycle industry is so conservative and so slow to change is because Harley Davidson is that entity. They are so conservative. They're so slow to change. They're just now talking about making something that isn't a cruiser. They're just now starting to talk about electrics. Now, granted, they're going to be first to market with electrics in a sort of, in sort of a way, which I find very interesting. But I would say a lot of the issues that we have in the industry come from Harley Davidson. And understand it's that same thing where it's like, well, you know, like they are responsible for that biker bad boy image mm-hmm. that turns off people like my mother to mm-hmm. make sure that her son never rides a motorcycle. I don't want my son being a hell's angel. I don't want him being one of those fucking meth heads. I don't want him to be in a biker gang with all these tattoos, you know, smuggling meth across the border. Hey. And that's all imagery and culture that comes from the Harley Davidson side of the industry. Right. All that negative bullshit that we're fighting against now comes from Harley Davidson. And that's part of Harley Davidson's challenge going forward is, Hey, we want to be more than just that brand. We want to be this new brand. It's like, well, guys, like you spent the better part of the last 30, 40 years building that mystique. And now you want to like overcome it. It's the same thing like with zero. It's like, well, you guys, you spent 13 years making shitty motorcycles. And now you want to be taken seriously as, you know, like a premium, you know, sport bike maker. It's just really hard to do. Like you've just, you've just painted yourself into the corner so well that you're going to have to wait for the paint to dry before you can come across. And that's, that's my, my, my feeling with, you know, why I wish they weren't there. Part of the problem too with American motorcycle culture is you look at the Japanese and you look at the Europeans, and those are where the two places are that the motorcycle industry flourishes outside of the U.S. Motorcycles flourish there because those countries had to rebuild after World War II. We didn't have to do that. We didn't have blown out infrastructure. We didn't have people that were, you know, just trying to like eat a leather boot because there was no fresh produce or you know readily available meat or dairy or all these things. Like they weren't, you know, blown after, blown out after a major world conflict. Um, the U S was primarily spared from that, you know, outside of Pearl Harbor, you know, there was no, you know, fallout from that sort of thing. So, you know, Honda and all the Japanese brands were very much about making transportation in post-World War II Japan, which had been, you know, we dropped nuclear bombs on them. Uh, it's the same way, you know, Italy, Germany, you know, the, these Axis powers that we bombed into oblivion. You know, I went to the Motoguzzi factory and they have like these tunnels that go into the hill because the factory would, you know, potentially get bombed and the workers had to go somewhere. And yeah. it's the same thing with Ducati. Like they started out as a radio. Yeah. They made radio company. Yeah. And then, you know, after post World War II, hey, there's this market. Like we, people need to get from point A to point B. People can't afford cars. We can put these motors on bicycles. And that's a really good way for people to get around because mm-hmm. we don't have roads. Everything's still like rubble and debris. But bicycles can still get through. And what's a better way than doing a bicycle? It's a motorized bicycle. And that built this whole thing. And that's part of why they have like a scooter culture and we don't because we had a car culture. Because after World War II, 
It's the roaring fifties. Everyone's buying these, you know, boats of Buicks and Cadillacs that are huge. And, uh, you know, we built a interstate highway system and, and all yeah, those things. Motorcycles and, that can actually handle that stuff. Yeah. We just didn't have that kind of need. And that's always been like the struggle. And I think that's part of the problem too. And that's a separate issue, but I still look at Harley and I sit there and I'm like, man, there's so many things that you guys have poisoned the well on that. If you had never existed, maybe our industry would be a little bit better off. Might not be as big as it is. I think that's absolutely a fact. Um, but we might be a little bit healthier and that there's maybe a give or take on that. I'm sure there is. I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I hold pretty steadfast on the idea of, you know, let's call it yin and yang, right? You, I think you need a little bit of bad to make people do a lot of good. I'm not saying I want to see people do bad things. I'm not calling Harley a bad company, but I think a lot of the image that they created made these other companies from across the pond go, wow, there is a there is a whole genre in the US and they're such a big, healthy, wealthy com- uh, country and these people are going to want to buy motorcycles. So why don't we take our motorcycles over there to make it where we can sell hundreds of thousands of them. Um, so I feel like it brought on a, a healthy amount of, mm, I don't know if I would even call it competition, but something different for people to look at. Because I think even then, people looked at Harleys in general as something the bad boy sailors and you know bad boy gangsters mm-hmm. rode around on. You know, you can just as easily make the argument that if it wasn't for Harley Davidson, the U.S. market might not even have a motorcycle. Market. Right. I mean, I, I'm not like saying that isn't the case. It's just I look at all the things that I'm trying to fight as an influencer in the industry, yeah, and they all come from the Harley Davidson side of the camp. Yeah, I mean, no and matter what you do in hard. this industry nowadays, the Harley is going to be there. Well, just right? just the idea of like like we're still sitting here having conversations about whether or not helmets should be mandatory. Yeah, we're still sitting here, you know, talking about like oh, like. We shouldn't keep selling to old white guys and, you know, just the conservatism of that. And, you know, we're still sitting there like, like this is the only way that can be motorcycles can look and function. It's just like, I mean, you go to a Harley dealership and there's not a huge helmet selection. There's not a huge safety gear selection. They, they have a ton of shirts with their sleeves cut off. Yeah. They, and uh, the number one thing I fight as a motorcyclist is the negative perception of motorcyclists that right. are firmly entrenched in two things one is the the biker gang culture and two is the squid rider that crashes into a tree and becomes an organ donor those are the two things and one of those is 100 harley davidson and the other one is like as much harley davidson as it is any other brand because i feel like all brands have a certain amount of squidiness that comes with them i always wondered why indian even though they were sort of like the first american motorcycle company how come that they didn't get as big as harley right away what was Harley's magic sauce that allowed them to become the big company that they are? I feel like that's a whole uh, podcast that could be spent just talking about that. Yeah, that'd be an interesting history lesson because I don't know Indian's story as good. I know they went from kind of like 1900 to 1950, and I don't really know what happened 1950s wise for them to to kind of fall out. Uh, well. Oh, here's a Wikipedia thing. It says post-war decline and demise. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, it doesn't really say what happened. But that's I mean, I, I'm I mean whatever it is, is like that's kind of like the 1950s is kind of when that 
biker gang thing started coming on yeah you know if i'm if i'm i don't know if i'm right about this or not but i thought a lot of the biker gangs back then were basically world war ii sailors and soldiers that had come back that sort of didn't have another place to go to they didn't have the whole same fraternity that they had overseas fighting so when they came back they kind of like banded together a little bit here um i truthfully don't know I mean, I'm, I'm that's, curious. That's my part. I'm gonna of look it up. It's gonna be, I'm gonna give myself a little homework to look this up, and okay. I'm sure listeners that know about it are probably gonna chime in anyway. So, come at us with this. I'm curious to hear what that is. Do you want to know what my wish would be? I do. I do. Yes. Please tell me what it's, your. It's gonna be short wish. and sweet. I think. Oh, okay. Uh, my wish is that the American motorcycle um, lawmakers would make it mandatory that American motorcyclists have to go through a engine size step per. Kind of like the way they do it in Europe. Yeah, tiered so licensing. Like, yeah, tiered licensing. I mean, I truthfully, I wish all vehicles in the U.S. were like that. 100%. Um, we would have way better car drivers. The problem is, and I've heard this argument before, and I'm not entirely sure I agree with it, but it's a good counter-argument, is if we had a tiered licensing system, we would have fewer motorcyclists. You think so? At least in the short term, because I think that makes it too much of a barrier to go do that thing like right. imagine like it's a sunny summer day you go up to the lake you're like hey i want to go do that jet ski that looks like fun oh yeah cool before you get on the cool jet ski though we're gonna get you on the shitty jet ski and you're gonna have to do like six months on the shitty jet ski <laughs> before you can or even just like you're gonna have to do like six days on the shitty jet ski before you can do the fun jet ski and you're like oh, i guess i won't do the jet ski then i'll just take out the the water ski boat then i don't need a license for the water ski boat we're cool okay cool yeah, I don't know if I agree I mean, with that analogy for motorcycles because I, I feel like if if we had a tiered licensing system, then you would see a lot more small displacement motorcycles. I feel like then the would in theory, right? It's just the would theoretical you see world. More, I think you see less motorcycles, but I think more of the mix would be smaller ones. It's the same thing where like I think we see less motorcyclists, but I think we see motorcyclists staying into the sport of the industry longer yeah. because they learn, they're safer, they don't crash out they don't burn out they're gonna have to be more passionate you have to really want it to become a motorcyclist in in the uk yeah i do wonder i do wonder if that was the case here from from the beginning of time uh if if i if i could go back and change that one thing and make it where it's a tiered system would it be where motorcyclists are no longer looked at as a threat but as responsible riders that could be interesting and if that's the case would it be where states are now mandating things like lane filtering because now they know the riders that are out there are people that have been doing it with starting at like 50 cc's and working their way up as opposed to the kid that's got $20,000 somehow a 25 year old that can go out and buy a, a leader bike. It's an interesting idea. I mean, the, I think the thing that is hard is I don't think we can put the genie back in the bottle. Yeah. No. I, I don't think you can go and legislate today tiered licensing and have that end up being like a net positive. <laughs> Whereas if it had been that way from day one, like you're suggesting, like maybe it could be, maybe, I don't know. It's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah. Because I think I think at the end of the day, you make better motorcyclists. I just don't think you make more of them. But maybe if you make better ones, they stay in it longer and then you end up having more of them. I just don't know. Yeah. It's a it's a vicious cycle. Does, I mean, at the end of the day, like could you get with that and promote more kids getting on them? Yeah, you can promote a, a younger crowd <sighs> because now if it's more acceptable and more, let's say, respected, and the states are on your side, then it becomes a more mainstream thing, right? But, but, yeah, and then I keep coming back to this idea that like, 
the United States is such a car-focused society. Mm-hmm. Does that change that or not? Because I don't know if it does. Well, if we're going back in time and changing it, I think it may have changed it a little bit. The problem with the United States, it's not really a problem, but we have this vast country, and the best way to be able to connect it together, aside from trains and airplanes, is the superhighways. Well, and there's an element, too, of like where we... We preferred to make highways and city roads and all that stuff rather than mass transit. Yep. And that's a part of it, too. I don't know. I don't like every know. time I'm on the highway on my motorcycle by myself, I look at the tens of thousands of cars that are just plugging up the road, and they all have a person in them, the well, person yeah. that's driving it. Yeah. And it's like you have room for four or five other people, but clearly not interested in you know, sharing the car with anybody else because it's hard, right? It's hard to, like, if you and I had to go to work to two different places, it's it's just logistical nightmare for you to come pick me up or me to come pick you up and make it work out. So I totally get it, but... We need, like, little pods. I mean, I, I truly think with automated vehicles that the whole, like, pod car thing is about to happen, like, because you're not going to need a car anymore. You're no. just going to want, like, a... Just need a thing that takes you from like point A, a to point B. desk and a screen with a seat. Yeah. That's like, like you want Something like, like a mini version of your work remotely. Yeah. You want like a mini version of your living room on wheels. Yeah. And I wonder if that starts changing. I mean, like that's like. 100. Although, frankly, I think the best step, the next step, is not even that. It's just let everybody work remotely, anyways. Just work from home. Yeah, that works to an extent. I mean, I've seen studies on that. Like, there's there's pluses and minuses. There is value in having everyone under one roof, especially when you get into looking at institutional silos. Right. Um, there's, there's some schools of thought, like you don't want to have a building set up where like marketing's on floor one, finance is on floor two, sales is on floor three, <laughs> because then you never have marketing people talking to sales, people talking to finance, people yeah. talking to product, people talking to HR, talking to corporate, like in reality, you want them all mixed in together. So like the guy next to you or the gal across from you is in a different department. So you're like, Hey, so, oh yeah, I see. Hey, you're having trouble with this budget. You know, we could probably on product you know, make it like 20% cheaper to help that budget get lower by doing this and this and this. And then the marketing part perks up like, hey, I could totally sell that because like carbon fiber is what you're going to need to use for that. And carbon fiber is rad and I can instantly charge 20% more on the price if it's got carbon fiber in it. And they go, oh, they all like geek out. The moral of the story is socialize. Socialize, have friends. It's good for you to talk to me. And don't be entrenched in your beliefs. Don't, just it's okay to look out without, out of that belief system. To really look inside, you have to look outside. That's right. This is the fundamental difference between the light side and dark side of the force. Vader is trying to control outer space. Right. While Yoda are trying to control inner space. Think about that. That's I, I'm going to rub my ears and just say wusa. Yeah. Yeah. Booyakasha. <laughs> All right, sir, let's get out of this. Well, you know, after all that, all I have to say to everybody is, guys, safety third. Go out and have fun. Good talk. I'll see you out there. Bye. Change the fabric of motorcycle history? Hmm. So you could. You could potentially change the very fabric of motorcycle history with this wish if you wanted to. You have just a wish, basically, and it's motor-related. What would you wish for? I don't know. No, oh, that could that could be an interesting topic. I think so. Okay, uh, put that in. Magic lamp. <laughs> <laughs>
I'll, I'll know what that means in an hour. <laughs> That's clearly enough information for future Jensen. Sometimes past Jensen does future Jensen some solids. Oh, yeah. And sometimes past Jensen does future Jensen no favors whatsoever. <laughs> a lot of head scratching going on. What? Oh, man. You really I, fucked yourself on that one. Is I drinking? I don't drink. I can't blame the Mountain Dew. Mountain don't. Yo, yeah, and got you a fresh bottle. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, she's a good woman. She's a good woman. T-Man. All right, you want to do this thing? Let's do this thing. You ready? You ready I'm to do ready. The thing? Oh, let's do five. Let's do.